Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit If ever there was a time to take a chance on a Divas main event on Raw, that would be it. And I've talked about that here on the podcast before. Divas Revolution. You know what would be pretty revolutionary? To put the women on last. It's business time, baby. The Solid Monster sounds off. My client, Elite Brock Lesnar, conquered the street. This doesn't make any sense. Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. He's fat. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! Welcome to episode 464 of the Solomonster Sounds Off here for Sunday, October 9, 2016. I am the Solomonster. That clip you heard there was from Sound Off 398 in August of last year. Of course, we got a women's main event on Raw this past Monday night, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, first, I want to just send my thoughts out to everybody who has been affected by Hurricane Matthew. Uh, hopefully everybody is okay. It sounds like uh, this thing could have been a lot worse than it was, uh, but I know it made landfall. I think it made landfall in uh, South Carolina, and uh, they were predicting all of this doom and gloom, and I know a lot of people are without power, and, and I think some homes may have been destroyed, but it sounds like that doomsday scenario was largely avoided, at least here. I know in Haiti they got hit pretty hard, uh, but hopefully everybody is okay. Uh, Hurricane Trump appears to be weakening, to a Category 1 storm. Uh, I'm going to stand by my Electoral College prediction that I made last week of Clinton 301, Trump 235. Although, after this weekend, it's probably going to be far worse than that. You know, when your own party starts to huddle uh, to figure out a way to replace you a month before the election, you know things are bad. You know things are bad when uh, Tic Tac and Skittles have also come out publicly against you. So I'm just left here wondering if there's any candy out there that will support Donald Trump. I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I will be watching the debate live. The second presidential debate is taking place tonight. The uh, the town hall format, I'm watching that live. I got my popcorn ready. I am ready to go. Uh, so there will be no sound off extra on YouTube for No Mercy. There will be one for Hell in a Cell later in the month. Uh, but there will be none for No Mercy, so just be aware of that. Uh, also, I have to uh, give a post-mortem here, I guess, on the Mets. Unfortunately, the Mets season came to an end this past week. They had the wild card game here at City Field against the San Francisco Giants. I was at the game. I was very fortunate. Uh, I had a seat right behind home plate. I know some of you saw me on TV. I know this because I saw people having fun with various uh, Solomon Monster memes at my expense in the uh, Facebook group. But uh, it, was a, it was a good game. A uh, good pitching matchup up until, you know, the late innings, and then the wheels came off, unfortunately, and uh didn't work out too well for my Mets. It was the highest-rated wildcard game, apparently, of all time, though, on TV, so I guess the Mets are a draw. Not when I'm there, apparently, but uh, the Mets are a draw. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. You know, look, it was a good season. It was It was a fun season. I hate that it ended like that. I wish they could have gone a little bit deeper, because now I really don't give a shit about the postseason. 
Uh, we'd be lucky if I watch any baseball games now. But, you know, hey, we got beat. We deserve to get beat. Again, one thing we don't do, or at least I don't do, is uh, pass the buck on to somebody else. I'm not going to blame the umpire. I'm not going to blame the Giants. I guess I could blame the Giants for being a better team. We got outbeat. Simple as that. Uh, but it was fun while it lasted. Uh, also, thank you for all the birthday wishes. I didn't say anything about it last week, but I did celebrate a birthday this week. Uh, and also a thank you to, yes, Brazzers sent me a happy birthday. You, you thought I was going to say something else. No, they sent me a happy birthday tweet, which was quite unexpected. Uh, and contrary to what everybody was saying, like online in the group, I'm not a subscriber. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, it's not just that they, they, they sent me that tweet. I love the fact that they put a picture. They took the time, whoever did that, to put a picture in the tweet of Ric Flair, a screen cap of Ric Flair's post-Royal Rumble 92 victory promo. So it's like, the person who did that not only had to know that it was my birthday, but they had to know that I love the 1992 Royal Rumble. And so, uh, to all the smartasses out there who said, well, you must be a subscriber, which I'm not, but even if I was, how would they even know that? You know what I mean? So it was a lot of, uh, a lot of thought went into that. I appreciate that. That, that tickled me to death. Because if you click media on uh, on their Twitter page, what what I find funniest about the whole thing, it's literally all hardcore porn and then just a random photo of Ric Flair from the 1992 Royal Rumble. And if we have any kids listening right now, you can forget everything that I just said. Uh, if you would like to take advantage of our Audible link to get yourself a free copy of the Death of WCW audiobook, you can do so using our link, Audible Trial. Dot com slash Solomonster. We are still offering a 30-day trial of the Audible service. Free for 30 days. You sign up. You will not be billed for the trial period. And you are entitled to one free audiobook as part of your trial. So even if you cancel the trial, you get to keep that book. You own it. No matter what. A lot of you have taken advantage of this for the death of WCW. Uh, I read the book when it first came out. You know, I have the hard copy, the hardcover version. Uh, but So I haven't listened to the audio version, but it was a great book. It was funny, it was sad, it was insightful, it was all that, those things rolled up into one. It was basically a manual for anybody who runs a wrestling promotion on what not to do. And a lot of funny stories mixed in there. So if you want the death of WCW, you can use our link to get it, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. Sign up using the link, get the book. And again, you get to keep it no matter what. And if you've already taken advantage of it, if you have a, a wrestling fan, friend, who you think might like it, spread the link around. The more the merrier, the more people who sign up for it, the more you help out this podcast. Uh, don't forget also that you can make a PayPal donation at any time on thesolomonster.com. You'll see the PayPal button on the right-hand side. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname and a shout-out here on this show, which of course is listened to all over the world. Uh, $30 or more will get you a shout-out as well as a quick plug for your own podcast, YouTube channel, uh, business, if you're a wrestling promoter, if you have an event coming up, all that kind of stuff. And so I want to extend my thanks to the uh, PayPal VIPs this week. Of course, John Loose Cannon Lopez, one of our uh, biggest supporters, uh, leads the pack here, as well as Chuck Lunatic Lentz, another longtime listener of the show. Deadpool James Herrera, can't forget about Deadpool. Out of Control, Cody Thomas, Beast Mode, Brock Joseph, Alvin Chainsaw Siegerts, Dream Chaser, Chauncey Curry, Ray Big Dog Blick, The Florida Freebird, Bryant Becerra, 
Soldier of Fortune, Umer Khan. Kind of a big deal, Corey Blake. Mass Grave, Micah Harshaw. Ian Lights Out Loomis. Nemesis, Nathan Moyers. Save the World, Sean Collins. Dragon Fist, Diogo Nobre. No Mercy, Nick Horacek. An appropriate name, uh, No Mercy, that is, for this weekend. The Philly Fanatic, Kyle of Kane. The Main Street Mauler, Austin Moe. Cult Leader, Kever McGinnis. The Glasgow Gangbanger, Jack uh, Doherty. The Seattle Slicer, Deborah Machad. The West Coast Wildman, Renee Lara. Mark the Almighty Adams, who is running in the Chicago Marathon this weekend for charity. He is splitting the money 50-50 between two charities, one in the UK, which is where he's from, and one here in the US, where, of course, he's running the race. Uh, the Alzheimer's Society and the Wayne Foundation are the two groups that he is representing. So if you want to help out, you can visit GoFundMe.com slash RunMCA, and you can make a donation there. Uh, and also Magic Man, Anthony Iovino, whose Pro Wrestling Magic promotion is hosting an event next Saturday, October 15th, called Driver Things, which is a playoff of the Stranger Things name, which I, I think is a TV show. I'm very much out of the loop on this. It's probably one of many TV shows that I've been told I need to catch up on. Uh, I still haven't caught up on the first season of True Detective. I got I, I watched the second season before the first season, and I was like, eh, it was okay. I don't see what the big deal is. And everybody's like, dude, watch the first season. And I've been meaning to do it, and I, I just haven't. Uh, but anyway, Pro Wrestling Magic is having their Driver Things event. Driver Things, The Road to Kingdom Come is the full name of the event. Uh, at the Ridgefield Park Knights of Columbus at 106 Bergen Avenue in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. 7 o'clock bell time, Joey Ryan, Paul London, Gangrel, JT Dunn, Jonathan Gresham, and many more will be appearing on that show. Tickets are just 20 bucks and can be purchased at WrestlingIsMagic.com. And uh, last but not least, we have the Black Buck. Big Young Bucks fan. Uh, he calls himself the Black Buck. Matt Harrigan, who is hosting something very special. Uh, I will talk more about it, though, after the NXT review, so I can kind of spread things out here on the shout-outs. I want to I wanna give give it some breathing room here, so I'll, I'll let you guys know about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, also, later on in the show, we are continuing the list, my list, not Jericho's list. This is the list of uh, Solomonster here of my nine greatest interviews-slash-promos in WWE history. We're doing one per week, as we've been doing now for several weeks, leading up to our nine-year anniversary show, which is coming up next month, November 6th. Uh, last week was Hollywood Rock in Toronto from Raw in 2003. This week, we're down to number four on the list, on the uh, countdown and it is going to take us back to Monday Night Raw again. That's the only hint I will give. So that's later. First, SmackDown presents No Mercy tonight live from Sacramento, California. This is the second SmackDown brand pay-per-view since the brand split began. I'm already tired of all these pay-per-views, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the lineup is pretty good. I think there's going to be some great matches tonight, but I just, you know, it, it's just there's too many. There's just too many of these shows, but... There have been rumors, lots and lots of rumors over the last 24 hours or so that Becky Lynch has sustained some sort of neck injury. Uh, not Nothing serious enough that she's going to need surgery or anything like that, but uh, an injury nonetheless that may keep her out for up to a month. 
And WWE, last I checked before I started recording here, has not said anything about it. They have not posted anything on WWE.com about this. Becky has kept quiet. Uh, apparently she's been hurt, I guess, for at least uh, a week or two, a few weeks maybe. This is not something that just sprung up in the last day or so. They've known about this for a little bit. Uh, but that is the scuttlebutt, that she's hurt, that she is off the show tonight. She has a match scheduled for the championship with Alexa Bliss. Uh, I hope they don't plan on handling this the way they did with Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt last month and just not saying anything if she really does turn out to be off the show. Uh, I've already ranted on them false advertising matches before, and it doesn't matter if it's the main event, if it's just a lower card match. I mean, it is a championship match, so I wouldn't say it's the lowest match on the card, but it doesn't matter. It's a promoted match. It's one of the bigger promoted matches on the show. And again, if if you know in advance that she is hurt and she is not cleared and she is not going to be able to compete, then you have to let people know that. And hopefully in the next few hours, if this is true, they will do that. Otherwise, they're pulling this crap for two months in a row and it's just, it's not right. Uh, now, if she's out a month or less, she's only going to be out like three or four weeks. If this is a, a Sasha Banks type situation all over again, then I say don't strip her. And keep the title on her. There's no sense in taking it away from her if she's only going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, otherwise, if they if they do that, if they feel we have to, we have to hold the championship up, then I say just add Alexa Bliss to the Nikki Bella-Carmella match, turn it into a triple threat match, and let Alexa win the championship. I just, I, I really hope that their backup plan, if they have to take the title of Becky Lynch, which they don't have to, I hope their backup plan is not to just put it on Nikki Bella, just because she's the next top babyface on the brand. Because what happens is, if you put the title on Nikki Bella, Nikki Bella's not just going to hold the championship for a couple of weeks. And effectively what she's doing is she's taking Becky's place as the top babyface on the brand. And to me, I mean, that's not fair to Becky. I mean, she got hurt. It happens. But if it's not a serious injury and she's not going to be out for an extended period of time, there's no need for Nikki Bella to take this girl's spot. Um, Nikki's going to win the championship at some point. It's inevitable. When she does, she'll probably hold on to it for a while. And I would hate to see a situation where they rush the title off Becky in a frenzy when they really don't have to, put it on Nikki, and then it's months before Becky gets the belt back. I, I don't want to see that. There's, Nikki does not need the championship at this point. Uh, not right now, she doesn't. And again, you look at Sasha Banks, she had a back injury that she was recovering from. She was out a few weeks, it probably wasn't even a full month, and she was back. And now she's the champion again. So, if they do strip her of it, make it a triple threat, give it to Alexa. Alexa can hold her own. I, I am a fan of Alexa Bliss, I've been since the NXT days. Uh, you know, in the ring she's fine, but just her, her, the way she carries herself, her promos, when I saw her on Talking Smack a few weeks ago... Her facial expressions, she's she's got everything down, just down to a T, and I think she's really, really good. And even if it's just for a few weeks, you know, it's not like I'm telling, you know, put the title on Alexa for the next 12 months. I, believe me, if it's for a few weeks or for a month, she can hold down the fort. When Becky comes back, they've got a ready-made feud. Becky can get the belt back, and everything will be fine. Uh, so... That's the, uh, the, uh, the latest update, as I understand it, on, uh, on Becky, is that there is no update, but that is the belief that she is off the show. Now, the rest of the lineup, we are getting the debut, finally, of Kurt Hawkins, or the re-debut, I should say. He's making his SmackDown debut. You know, uh, Kurt Hawkins is also a, a diehard New York Mets fan, as I am. 
And I, I know they're in Sacramento for this show, but might I suggest San Francisco's stupid seal mascot? Like the Giants have a mascot. I don't know the name of it. It's like a, it's like a seal or a, a baby seal or something. Might I suggest that stupid seal as an opponent for Kurt Hawkins here on this pay-per-view? I think it'd be fun to watch him beat that thing to a bloody pulp. But uh, whoever he faces, my prediction here, obviously, is Kurt Hawkins will win. If he can't win in his debut, then he may as well just go home. We have Jack Swagger and Baron Corbin. Uh, Baron Corbin, I have him uh, penciled in here as the winner. These two had a match on SmackDown. There was a disputed finish, but Swagger got the win. Uh, Corbin Corbin needs a solid win here, so I got him as the victor. We have Nikki Bella and Carmella. Again, they may change this match. If they turn it into a triple threat, I say Alexa wins the championship. But if they keep this match as is, I'm going to go with Nikki. Uh, Nikki has been screwed over by Carmella time after time, so I figure it's time for Nikki to get a win here. Heat Slater and Rhino defending their WWE Tag Team titles, the SmackDown belts against the Usos. I think the Usos are getting the championship. So then they can feud over it with American Alpha. So the Usos are my pick. We have uh, The Miz and Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental Championship. And the stipulation is that if Ziggler cannot win the... Now, is the stipulation that Ziggler has to win the title or he has to win the match? You know, that could be an out for them there. If Maurice gets involved, if something happens and Ziggler wins, let's say, by DQ or something... Technically, then he doesn't have to retire. But I admit I don't. I don't remember if if it's he has to win the title of the match. Either way, I think Dolph Ziggler is winning the championship. Uh, I will say this: <clears throat> they've done a pretty good job of trying to convince people that he's actually leaving. Ziggler's gone on Twitter and said, you know, hey, after October 9th, for my future bookings, contact this person. And then he was on Talking Smack talking about all the outside endeavors that he's got and. You know, they're they're going out of their way to make you think that this is it for this guy. There's been rumors his contract is up, which I don't believe is the case. I think he I think his contract is long term contract. I think he signed for like another I don't know, two two or three years maybe. So I don't think Ziggler is going anywhere. I think they've done a really good job building up this feud. I think they've done a really good job of trying to convince you that Ziggler is on his way out to plant those those seeds of doubt. I think it'll make those near falls in this match really, really fun. And the crowd hopefully will be into it. And I think Dolph Ziggler finally gets the win. I think he wins the Intercontinental Championship. I'm, I'd am i be kind of sad to see the Miz's run end uh, because I think he's been doing some pretty kick-ass stuff with Maurice and he's had the title for like 150 days now or something. And I was kind of holding out hope that maybe they would save that, that big win when he finally drops it to uh, somebody new, somebody else. I don't know who that would be, uh, but... I think Ziggler's getting it, so he's my pick. Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt finally are going to have their match, unless uh, they want to false advertise Orton again for this show. And I think Randy Orton gets the win. I do. Uh, I think I had a different opinion last month when they were going to wrestle. I thought maybe Luke Harper would come back and he would give Bray the assist. Now I see that Luke Harper is traveling with the Raw brand, so he'll probably be on Raw. Eric Rowan, for those who don't know, suffered a torn rotator cuff, so he's out. Probably four to six months. He will not be uh, interfering in this match tonight. So I think Randy Orton... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gets the win, and again, it's it's this kind of the same old song with Bray Wyatt. Uh, even if he wins, let's be honest here, even if Bray Wyatt got a big win here on the pay-per-view tonight, where do you go from here with him? You know, I mean, with the current direction, like, it probably just leads to another match with Randy Orton. So I'm not sure, you know, in in the next few months where they're going to go with this guy. Uh, Bray Wyatt needs this win a lot more than Orton does, but I think Orton's going to get it. And then the main event, triple threat for the WWE Championship, AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, and John Cena. Uh, speaking of matches that have been built up really, really well, I mean, the two top matches, if you look at Miz and Ziggler as one of the top matches on this show, which it is, uh, these two matches, both of them, have been built up tremendously well over the last couple of months, uh, the main event in particular. And, and here's the thing about the main event. So the main event does not involve Shane McMahon. The main event does not involve Daniel Bryan. They're not fighting over, yeah, remember like a couple of years ago when the authority was in full effect, it was all, everything was about who is the face of the company, who is the authority's lapdog, who's going to be the, you know, and, and I kept saying like, who cares, like who gives a shit who the face of the company is, and thankfully they've, they've kind of gotten away from that now, uh, it took them long enough, we had years of that. But here's another example of just a straight-up feud with three guys fighting over the championship because the championship is the most important thing in the world to them. And it's just three dudes that don't like each other. And I'm totally digging it. I'm totally into it. John Cena's been doing some of the best mic work in a long-ass time. Dean Ambrose has been putting in some of his best work in a long-ass time. I thought his match with AJ on SmackDown last week was probably his best match all year. Uh, or at least maybe since uh, the beginning of the year. I know he had a pretty good match with uh, Kevin Owens at the Rumble. Uh, but AJ, of course, I mean, AJ is AJ. AJ puts in great work every week. And even his mic work. I saw him on Talking Smack Tuesday, and he made a lot of valid points. You know, it's so like storyline-wise, if you think about it, what the hell does John Cena have any... Why is John Cena even in this match? I think AJ even asked that to Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan had... He's the GM of SmackDown, and he had no good answer. He had no comeback for why John Cena is in this match, other than, well, he's John Cena. Despite the fact that John Cena lost twice now to AJ Styles, including he was pinned clean in the middle of the ring at SummerSlam, and then he vanished for weeks, and then he had a match with Dean Ambrose on SmackDown, and again, he got pinned and beaten clean, and yet here he is getting a championship match. So everything seems to make sense here. These guys just don't like each other. I do think that AJ is winning. I think he is retaining the championship. Uh, there's no chance in hell that Dean Ambrose is getting this belt back, not right now. And I don't see them giving John Cena number 16 here on this show. I just don't see it. It's going to happen at some point. It may happen at WrestleMania. But it's not happening here. So uh, all of you people who are worried that AJ is going to drop the belt, you can rest easy because he is not losing this championship. AJ Styles will win. And that's your No Mercy card for tonight. Hopefully I'll be able to check out the show at some point uh, during the week. Again, I'm not watching it live tonight. I'm going to 
be tuned into that shit show debate, which I admit it's a shit show, but I can't look away. Kind of like love and hip hop, you know? All right, we got a bunch of big stories I want to just tackle here, so you may as well get into this one first, because this is the one that intrigues me the most. Uh, there is a survey that WWE put out or had commissioned or whatever you want to say. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of these surveys before. I did not get this one, but when they send out the fan council surveys, for example, looking for feedback, I get a lot of those. I've posted those on my Twitter before when I get these questions. I didn't get this one, but a lot of people did, and it's very, very interesting. It's about uh, the WWE Network, and clearly the company is considering a tiered system or tiered packages for their network and adding additional wrestling content that is not WWE. And I have this chart here in front of me. If I zoom in to see what this survey says, very interesting. So what they're considering essentially are four different plans for the network, including a totally free one, a totally free version of the WWE network that I think would only be for mobile devices. And obviously you're going to get, or I should say you're not going to get uh, a lot of stuff like the uh, takeover specials. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that would be left out of it. You would have commercials that you'd have to deal with, but there there would be a free version of the network. There would also be a $4.99 version of the network where you would get the four quote-unquote big four pay-per-views. And again, I consider the big four at this point to be Rumble, uh, WrestleMania, Money in the Bank, and SummerSlam. I assume they would consider Survivor Series and not Money in the Bank. So you would get the big four events. There were, there are other things that you would not get. Uh, you would not get the live takeover specials. You would not get the, uh, Cruiserweight Classic, which they are considering now as a weekly series, not a uh, once a year tournament. You wouldn't get a lot of that, uh, other cool stuff. But you would get the big four, and that's interesting to me because that would include WrestleMania. So in theory, you can subscribe for under five bucks. And get the WWE Network, even cheaper than you can now. And essentially, you're getting WrestleMania for $5. Which, I never thought that they would discount their biggest show that way, but I guess they feel that, uh, you know, that's the way to go. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but you you could, in theory, get WrestleMania for $4.99 every year. So that would be part of the uh, the kind of the second plan. The third plan is the current one, which is you pay $9.99. You get pretty much most of the features of the network, very limited commercials. Uh, but what they're considering, they're considering weekly live episodes, or what I assume would be live, episodes of NXT, which is interesting to me. Of course, now they tape three or four shows at once, and then they uh, are air-taped every single week. So it looks like they would be considering weekly, possibly live NXT shows. Uh, like I said, the Cruiserweight Classic, they're considering taking that weekly as well. Um... The $9.99 plan would also uh, give you uh, access to the stream, of course, and the, the video archive, including events that go up 30 days after they air. I think that's the way it works now with Raw and SmackDown. I think they go up on the network a month after they air. I could be wrong, though. Uh, I, I barely tolerate Raw watching on USA. I never go back on the network to watch Raw from a month ago, and I never will. Um, what's interesting about the fourth plan which is what caught my eye. The fourth plan is what would cost $14.99. So you'd essentially be paying about 5 bucks or so more than what you're paying now. But for that, you get everything. So that includes, of course, all the pay-per-views, 
all the TakeOver specials, weekly NXT episodes, uh, weekly Cruiserweight Classic episodes, all of that stuff. But what you also get that you don't get on the other plans is access to what they call independent wrestling content. And this this made me laugh because they have independent wrestling content such as TNA and Ring of Honor. Now, <laughs> I guess you could call TNA an independent promotion, uh, but can you really call Ring of Honor an indie at this point when, when they're not even backed, they're owned. They're 100% owned by a multi-multi-million dollar media conglomerate. Sinclair Broadcasting is worth many, many, probably hundreds of millions of dollars, and they own Ring of Honor. So I don't know that you can call Ring of Honor an indie promotion. I don't care how many people they draw to a house show. If it's 500 people, uh, believe me, there are some WWE shows that pr- pretty much draw fucking flies lately also. Have you seen those SmackDown house shows on Monday nights? Have you seen the buildings they're running for some of those shows? The the, the gymnasiums that they're running, okay? I don't think you can call ROH an indie, but... I saw that and I thought to myself, well, that's that's pretty interesting that they're at least thinking about reaching out to these different promotions. And, and the TNA mention was also very interesting, especially coming off all these rumors. And I'm going to talk about TNA in a second, about them being interested in buying the tape library. So, you know, is that what this is? Would it be them purchasing the TNA tape library and airing the archives on the network? Would they actually be considering airing current TNA episodes on the network? Does that mean TNA would be off pop TV? I don't know. It doesn't specify. And I don't think any of this means that they're close to striking a deal with any of these promotions. Uh, Because it doesn't say here in the survey, but I think it was Meltzer or somebody also mentioned that included in all that would be a lot of other indie promotions like Evolve, who they already have an existing relationship with, uh, Progress, which I know is one of the UK promotions, and I'm excited. I'm going to my first Progress show, WrestleMania weekend next year in Orlando. I hear a lot about them. So they would also be lumped in there, and who knows how many other indie promotions might have their stuff uh, airing if this were to happen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happen on the WWE Network. I think it's I think it's cool as shit. I love that idea. Now, I am there. there is one caveat to all this, of course, which is that if all of a sudden they start airing TNA and ROH and Evolve and Progress and all of these different promotions on the network, there's already way too much wrestling that WWE offers on a weekly basis. Three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, an hour of NXT. Now, if the Cruiserweight Classic goes weekly, I assume that's another hour. Two pay-per-views every month. 19 pay-per-views now each year. And that's just WWE. Forget all the other wrestling that's out there. Now imagine them on their network promoting TNA this week, Ring of Honor this week, Evolve this week, Progress this week. It's 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 too much. <laughs> I think there is uh, there is a a worry uh, that there would be just, uh, just too much. But I think the idea that you could offer other wrestling uh, content, other promotions on your network, though, I think... Uh, is is something that will go a long way, I think, to boosting subscriptions. I, and that's why they're doing it. I mean, they're looking at boosting subscribers. I get it. 
I think this is something that should be tried out. I think it would be really cool to offer stuff other than WWE. What do you, what do you have to worry about? I mean, if you can reach an agreement with these promotions uh, that is mutually beneficial for all sides, what are you worried about? Are you worried that progress is going to steal away all of your WWE fans? I mean, WWE, they have their fans. Those fans are not going anywhere. They don't have to worry about that. And if anything, if you've got these these other promotions that are airing on your network, um, I don't know if it undermines or it undercuts NXT or or the. I guess I guess on some level there is a worry that it could undercut NXT in some ways because NXT is not just a show that has Asuka and Nakamura and Samoa Joe. They've got people like Dan Matha. Okay, all due respect to Dan Matha. Steve Cutler and and people like Aaliyah and the, these these men and women who are not as polished, who are on their way up, who frankly just are have a long way to go, and they're not very exciting to watch. I shouldn't say that about Aaliyah. I think Aaliyah's pretty good, but you've got a lot of people on the show who are who are green, who are inexperienced. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of NXT is those guys get to work with the more experienced guys and they get better. But if you've got an NXT show, half of which is amateur hour, but now on the on the same network, you could see some of these guys they've got in progress and evolve, a lot of whom blow these other guys in NXT out of the frickin' water. I could see where that actually could have a negative effect on the, uh, not so much on the TakeOver specials, but maybe on the weekly NXT shows. But hey, you know, competition, right? Competition's a good thing. I think uh, it's a really cool idea. I hope they move forward with it. I have no idea when they might do this, if they're going to do it. Um, it's very possible that people, if, look, they're, they're, they're looking for feedback. And if their fan base doesn't give a shit about TNA and Ring of Honor, but they're really interested in a free version of the network on their fucking phone, you know what? We may not get to see this. So I would say that if it's something that you want to see, uh, I don't know how you get this survey or if you can even at this point, but let them know. You know, I guess tweet them. Let let WWE know what it is that you want because there's a lot of other cool things here that would be part of that fourth tier. It's not just the additional wrestling content. Apparently, uh, you would get to vote in somebody into the Hall of Fame. So I'm not sure how that would work, but you know, WWE has their own people that they I was going to say vote for, but <clears throat> ultimately it's it's Vince McMahon who picks who he wants to go in the Hall of Fame, but. As I understand this, you would get to vote on one person or team or whoever that you want to see inducted each year into the Hall of Fame. So there would be fan voting for at least one of the Hall of Famers. So if you want Demolition to be in the Hall of Fame, you might soon be able to vote Demolition into the Hall of Fame. So that's interesting. Uh, You would also be able to get early access to tickets before they go on sale to the public. Uh, So it's it's... You know, second screen experience for some of the content. I, I like the way that that fourth plan sounds, and I personally would be willing to kick in an extra five bucks a month. If they were offering all that stuff, I would kick in the extra money. Maybe some people wouldn't. Frankly, I thought when they announced nine ninety nine is the price tag for the network that they were underselling themselves. I think they could have gone for probably eleven ninety nine, twelve ninety nine, because honestly, two or three dollars. It's not going to make a difference. If people want the network that badly, two or three dollars a month extra is not going to make a difference. Two or three dollars a month extra is not going to break the bank on somebody with a with a slim budget. You know, five dollars might, ten dollars would. So I thought they could have gone even higher. But uh fourteen ninety nine for all of that content, that's sounds like a steal to me. 
Now, I mentioned TNA. A lot of rumors going around the last few weeks about TNA. Rumors of WWE reaching a deal to buy the TNA tape library, but not the promotion. So WWE would get the library. Billy Corgan would get the company. He would become the majority owner of TNA. Dixie would get her money, I guess, from WWE. And everybody would get what they... And and from Corgan. And everybody would get what they want. Especially Dixie Carter. It sounded like a win-win-win situation for everybody involved. And also, it would seem, if that were the case... Uh, to tell us where the money came from for Dixie Carter and TNA to be able to run their pay-per-view and their TV tapings this past week. So let's back up a little bit here. There was a lot of speculation that TNA might not be able to have bound for bankruptcy, that the pay-per-view might not be able to go on last weekend. But somehow they had investing that came in, and at the last moment, uh, the money came in from a mysterious third party, and they were able to have the pay-per-view, and they were able to tape television. But still, not announced or uh, even even speculated. I mean, just I haven't heard anything about where the money came from. And this whole rumor of WWE buying the tape library has not been substantiated. In fact, Dixie Carter held a locker room meeting, finally. She didn't have a, a locker room meeting with the talent at uh, Bound for Bankruptcy, but apparently at the TV tapings the next day or a couple days later... She finally met with talent because the talent's been in the dark. They've had no idea. They've been following all the rumors and reports on the internet like everybody else. It'd be kind of nice if somebody in the company would talk to these people and let them know what's going on. And finally, uh, Dixie did. And she didn't have much to say. Uh, She denied that WWE was buying the library. She may have said something to the effect of, I'll never sell uh, to WWE. I don't know if that meant the company, if that meant the library as well. Uh, But... It was, you know, just to put people's minds at ease, and she admitted that, yeah, the pay-per-view was never not going to happen, but then she admitted that we did scramble, so it's like, well, which is it? Like, you scrambled for a reason. If you didn't scramble, there wouldn't have been a pay-per-view. But again, she denied that WWE was was buying anything and all this, and here's my thought on that. And maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. But I hear a denial from Dixie Carter, and these TNA denials... A denial from TNA, given their track record of denials in the past, it means about as much as the toilet paper I use to wipe my ass with, okay? So just because Dixie Carter or somebody in TNA denies that a report is is accurate, right? They they pulled this shit last year when uh, it might have been Meltzer or whoever came out with a report saying that the whole email debacle and that they were going to be kicked off the network and they said, no, 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 that's bullshit, that's not true, and of course it turned out to be true. So, I don't, you know, these TNA denials, I I take them with uh, about a mound of salt. Um, She also supposedly told the talent in this meeting uh, that some people were being paid late because they were waiting on money owed to them by partners to come in. So, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't her fault. It's these other partners and these other vendors who owe them money who didn't pay them quick enough. And so, that's why you didn't get paid quick enough. It's kind of like uh, Paul Heyman back in the day uh, when ECW uh, went under mentioned that Acclaim Entertainment, remember the video game company Acclaim? They used to do the uh, <clears throat> WWE games as well. Uh, Acclaim owed them something, according to Heyman, like, uh, I don't know, six or seven million. Was it was it six or seven million? I don't think it was that much. There was a lot of money that Acclaim owed the company, and I think Heyman has said before that had they gotten that money, they might have been able to stay afloat, uh, but it didn't work out for them. And I can I can believe that. Although Paul Heyman himself has said a lot of things, I'm sure to uh, 
make his wrestlers comfortable and put their minds at ease when he was probably full of shit. He was probably the master at that. Uh, I wouldn't call Dixie Carter the master of anything. But this whole notion, well, the only reason you're being paid late is because we're not getting our money quick enough. That That's Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Different than their excuse last time, which was that they were moving. Remember that whole story? They were in the middle of moving their offices, which apparently they were. Uh, but they were in the middle of moving their offices from like Nashville to Dallas or something, or maybe from Dallas to Nashville, because I think Dallas might have been where Panda Energy was and Panda pulled out a long time ago. And anyway, they were moving. And so, you know, people were being paid late and checks were being cut late. I think it was PW Insider that, that broke that story. And so I, I hear this now and I think to myself, I wonder what Dixie's excuse will be next month when people don't get paid on time. Seems like there's a different excuse for every situation. Soon she'll be saying that she was walking down the street and a purse snatcher took her purse with all the checks in it. That evil purse snatcher. We should make a list. Like the one that Jericho has. We'll call it Dixie's List. With everything on there scribbled in crayon. All the excuses why people are paid late. So the latest on the TNA situation is that there is nothing new to report. They've got the money from someone or some group. They had their pay-per-view, they had their TV tapings because of the hurricane. Uh, they had some tapings scheduled for later in the week that had to be canceled. I think they're taping TV uh, today. I think this weekend they were taping TV. That should carry them through the end of December. And so what we have here is the exact opposite of what Billy Corgan said he wanted, if you recall him doing the interview with Busted Open and the interview with ESPN last week, where he said, I'm not just going to keep putting money into this thing to keep it afloat for two or three months and then wind up right back to where we are now. Like I said, it's like putting a, a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It's a temporary fix that is not going to work. And in a couple of months, you're going to be right back where you were. Well, that's what it sounds like the situation is with TNA. So come the end of the year, we're going to be right back where we were. I guess it gives them more time to try to negotiate a deal, to try to negotiate a sale. Uh, WWE potentially is still in the mix for the tape library. I still think they're going to end up with that tape library because they want it for the network. I don't think they give two shits about the company. I'm sure Billy Corgan, if he wants it bad enough, he'll end up getting it. Uh, because I don't know who would be crazy enough to to kind of come into all this and throw even more money at TNA. It ain't even worth that much, let's be honest. Uh, I don't care what their TV is like lately. TNA is not worth uh, tens of millions. Of, they're probably tens of millions of dollars in debt. They're not worth tens of millions of dollars. So it gives them more time, I guess, to work things out, but there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's a cloud of uncertainty. It seems like there's been a cloud of uncertainty over TNA for its entire existence, and somehow they've managed to last this long, but 
uh, at some point, something has to something has to give here. Something has to change. I don't even know. Are they having a European tour in January? Don't they go to the UK in January? All of our UK listeners out there, I mean, uh, I guess you guys would know if uh, TNA is having a tour again. I haven't heard anything about that. Usually they have one every single year. But uh, I, I don't know what's what's going on anymore with this company. I know Eddie Edwards is the new TNA Heavyweight Champion. He beat Bobby Lashley. Not the person I expected to beat Bobby Lashley. All due respect to Eddie Edwards. I, yeah, yeah. You know, Eddie Edwards is a talented guy. Um, World Heavyweight Champion? Eh, I, I don't know about that. Not not the person I would have is uh, World Heavyweight Champion. But uh, there, there was one other funny note, though. I was... Uh, Somebody posted a tweet. Uh, they were at the taping, some of the tapings that TNA did for TV, and people were just ripping on Josh Matthews, who, of course, is an absolutely atrocious professional wrestling announcer. Uh, and from a lot of accounts, when you just interact with him online, just an all-around miserable person to deal with. So there were people heckling him, I guess, at the tapings, and they were chanting things like, Josh is terrible. Uh, they were chanting, fire Josh, and... Mike Tanay, and apparently there was a Josh's Worthless chant, which that's pretty low, I have to say. Josh, I, I wouldn't even go that far. Josh is Worthless, wow. Jeez, this is a tough crowd here in uh, Orlando. All the families coming into the, uh, coming into the, uh, the impact zone, chanting Josh is Worthless. So, well, he is worthless as a professional wrestling announcer. I wouldn't say he's a uh, worthless human being. I'm sure he can find a, he could find a reason for his existence. I'm sure there's something out there that he's good at. I don't know what it would be. It's certainly not announcing, but uh, hopefully at some point he finds his lot in life. Goldberg. This was another big story this week. Goldberg and Brock Lesnar uh, are, if rumors are to, and there's that word again, rumors, 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 rumors. Wasn't there a song by, uh, oh God, what was that band that did that song? Uh, there was a song called Rumors back in the 80s. And I can't believe I remember that. And I'm trying to remember who who sang it. Um, oh, this is going to bother me now. <laughs> I'm going to stop the show now. I'm going to try to figure out who sang this. Sang the song, Rumors. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But anyway, there were rumors that Goldberg has signed with WWE. And there is already an agreement in place for him to wrestle Brock Lesnar. Which in and of itself is not surprising. I said when I attended the 2K17 media launch uh, a while back, I was I was at the event. I got to where I got to interview AJ and Charlotte and all those people. And I didn't get a chance to interview Goldberg. I was there when he was in the little press scrum, you know, answering questions and stuff. And I shot some video of it. And he got asked a lot of different questions. And just listening to his responses and everything. I even said then when I reported back, I said... He's totally wrestling a match next year. But I figured it would be a match at WrestleMania. I was 100% convinced he's back. He's definitely wrestling a match. It's probably going to be against Brock because that's the person he keeps mentioning. And it'll be at WrestleMania. So him coming back for a match is not shocking at all because I expected it. What I was shocked by was the reports that it would be at Survivor Series. Uh, Jim Ross. Jim Ross himself even sent out a tweet. And then other people followed uh, with the news that from his sources, the match was all but signed. It was all but signed, sealed, and delivered. And then we heard that Goldberg was going to be making an appearance on SportsCenter on Wednesday. They even hyped it up on Raw, and he was going to be talking about the video game, and he would be addressing his future in WWE, his his relationship with WWE. And so 
immediately you think, okay, well, he's coming on ESPN to announce that he's signed a match, uh, signed to a match with Goldberg, right? Or, or with, uh, uh, Brock Lesnar. That's a pretty big forum to make that announcement, right? On, on ESPN. Well, he went on ESPN and he did talk about the video game and he did talk about how he would be open to a return. But he said he hasn't spoken with Vince McMahon since 2004 when he left. Which means nothing, by the way. That means absolutely nothing. Triple H is the one who brokered the deals with Bruno San Martino and the Ultimate Warrior. And I remember them even saying that until Bruno showed up at the Hall of Fame, it wasn't until he showed up there that he even met with Vince McMahon. They went off in a room together and they met for the first time. Ultimate Warrior, same thing. I don't know that he actually met with Vince until after the deal was already done. So, yeah, it's probably true. Goldberg probably hasn't met with Vince or spoken to Vince in, in 12 years or whatever. But that doesn't mean that he's not working with somebody like Triple H to try to hammer out a deal. I'm sure he is, if the deal isn't already done. And it probably is. But he wouldn't give any of that away. He didn't say that on the show. There was no mention of there being any sort of an agreement. There was no confirmation of a match or a comeback, or Survivor Series, or anything. Uh, what he did say was he asked people to give him until the end of the year to make a decision on whether or not he wants to make a comeback. And that would seem to mean no Survivor Series match. Now, here's, here's the deal. Um, when I first uh, heard this, this, this rumor, this report, again, I was surprised by the mention of Survivor Series. It confused me. Uh, because, well, it confused me for a few reasons. First of all, the other thing that, that Goldberg mentioned at the 2K17 launch, uh, assuming that he wasn't just trying to throw all of us off, was that he had just had double knee surgery only a few weeks before. Double knee surgery for, what is he, 49, 50? You know, I don't know what the surgery was. Maybe he just had his knees scoped. I mean, if it was, I assume it wasn't like some sort of a tear. I mean, he was moving around pretty good. But if you had double knee surgery at 50 years of age, you're not coming back so fast. So even a match at Survivor Series would be awfully quick turnaround. Uh, so that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But what, what made less sense to me was, you know, why would you do the match at Survivor Series? Now, I, I saw that uh, apparently WrestleMania next year, they already have an opponent in mind for Brock, and it's not Goldberg. Whoever it is, if I had to venture a guess, and that's all this is, is a guess, I would guess The Rock. It's probably Rock and Brock is what they want to try to... They were going to do that match a couple of years ago and didn't work out. And that would be a, a big-time match. I don't think Rock has, has ruled out WrestleMania. I know... Uh, well, I guess technically he did have a match this year. I was going to say he didn't wrestle this year, but I guess he did. Against... Uh, the, uh, the legendary Eric Rowan, who, you know what, the funny thing about that, Eric Rowan, if he does nothing for the rest of his career, when he retires, he can say that he had a match at WrestleMania against The Rock. Not too many guys can say that, but Eric Rowan can. So if I had to guess, they have an opponent in mind for Brock already, it's probably The Rock, I don't know that, but I heard Survivor Series initially, and I was just like, I immediately tweeted out, why not save that match for the Royal Rumble? You're not going to do it at WrestleMania. You don't want to break your plans. Do it at the Rumble. You're having the Rumble in a 70,000-seat dome. Right? Help sell out the Alamo Dome. Put that match as a special attraction on the undercard. So, I hear this guy on SportsCenter saying, you know, give me until the end of the year to make a decision. And it makes me think, well, maybe that is the plan. Maybe, it, and that would make a lot more sense. 
If they're not doing it at Mania, don't do it at Survivor Series. You know, do it do it at the Royal Rumble. Help sell out the Alamo Dome. That's what I would do. You don't need to do that match at Survivor Series. You want to make Survivor Series special, I get that. Just build the show around Raw versus SmackDown. And some people might say, well, it's too soon for that. They've only... It's only been two months or three months of the brand split so far. So what? So what? Raw has their top guys. SmackDown has its top guys. The way this brand split's been going lately, I can't say it's been setting the world on fire. Who the hell knows if they'll even have a split a year from now. You can do Raw versus SmackDown. In a War Games match. I'm not going to stop saying that until they do it. (laughs) I will continue to say War Games, War Games, War Games until they fucking do the match. And, uh, and never say never. I will say that. I know it's not a WWE creation, and, and that's why Vince hasn't done it and all that, but never say never, because there are, I'm sure there are plenty of people in that company who would love to see a War Games match, and if they ever have their chance to uh, maybe not convince Vince, but you know, Triple H ever takes power, I think we're going to get our first ever uh, War Games match. Probably won't be this year, though. But that's really all you would need to... It doesn't even have to be War Games. I mean, you can come up with some other cage structure. I guess the, the, the chamber wouldn't work because you got those stupid pods. Maybe if you took the pods out, you can use the elimination chamber structure and just do it that way. You could do that. You could have the uh, the chamber structure and just one ring, take out the pods, but follow the old war games rules. You could do that. Kind of a hybrid of the two matches. But just picture that. And I already laid out what my teams would be. I did that in the mailbag a few weeks ago. Uh, you don't need Goldberg on that show to make it special. Uh, I was going to give a, a, a stabbings update. I may have to make this a weekly segment here on the show. People are getting stabbed left and right. Jamie Noble, I mentioned last week, he was stabbed uh, twice in the back by uh, some uh, idiots after a road rage incident. Thankfully, he's going to be okay. But he put pictures up on his Facebook page of the wounds, and it's pretty freaking gruesome. Um, but it pierced his lung. His lung was filling up with, with blood. It was really bad for a while there, but he claims he'll make 100% recovery, and he's offering a reward for anybody who can help him find the men who did this. Uh, meanwhile, Alberto Del Rio also was stabbed. Uh, he no-showed a booking that he had uh, in Mexico scheduled for AAA, and there were rumors that he was spotted in Orlando. This was right before the TNA pay-per-view last weekend. And so people were thinking, well, he no-showed AAA because he's going to be bound for bankruptcy. And then he never showed up. He did not show up on the TNA show. Uh, Apparently he wasn't even in Orlando. It was just, you know, a a false alarm. But he put pictures online of, like, stab wound. He got stabbed, I think, in the arm or the wrist. And he got, like, a stab wound on his head. How you get a fucking stab wound on your head, I have no idea. Um, but the story has changed. Whoever broke the story initially, it may have been MLW, and if it's not, I apologize, but the initial story made it sound like there was a road rage incident, I guess kind of like the Jamie Noble thing, and they got out of their cars, and Alberto was attacked, and he was stabbed, and then I guess the story that he told, uh, a, a different outlet, was completely different. That him, that Paige was with him, and that they were, uh, they encountered a homeless man who stabbed him, and Paige... Uh, tried to get the guy off, and I I don't know. I mean, I've heard about three three different versions of this story, uh, and, and none of them really make a whole lot of sense, so I'm not sure what the hell's going on here with this. I don't know if maybe he was robbed. I don't know. I was kind of joking on Twitter. The story keeps changing that maybe Paige, uh, they had some sort of an argument, and she got, she got very upset with him and uh, turned into Stabby McStabberson. I don't know, but... Uh, 
he did show up at the uh, What Culture pay-per-view. What Culture had a, a an eye pay-per-view, and he was there. I mean, his arms, like his wrists were wrapped, I guess, to cover the wounds. But otherwise, he looked fine. So it must not have been serious. But yeah, the, he it's a weird thing going on with him right now. I don't know what... He had a restaurant that was supposed to open, and then Paige went on social media and said, well, at the last minute, like, oh, the restaurant is on hold until further notice. Stuff happened, and now he's getting fucking stabbed. I don't know. Maybe he was going to open the restaurant and had a disagreement with the chef, and the chef took his Ginsu knife and stabbed him. That would make about as much sense as any other version of the story that I've heard. Speaking of uh, what culture... People are always asking me, like, you got to talk about what culture pro wrestling. I watch enough pro wrestling. I don't have time to fit another show. I'm, I'm trying to fit Ring of Honor back in. I'm not doing a very good job of it. Uh, but I, I was kind of curious. I, I was interested in this iPay-Per-View that they had. I did not get the chance to see it, though, because the iPay-Per-View was on Thursday. And Thursday was my birthday. And to be honest with you, I wanted to do anything but watch pro wrestling. Uh, but apparently it's a good thing I didn't. Because everybody I heard from who ordered the stream directly through them said the stream was horrendous. People were asking for refunds. It didn't work. It was just a total disaster. Uh, Now, I guess they also streamed this thing through the Fight TV app. And apparently that was fine. Because probably Fight TV was handling it. So if you order the stream that way, then it was 100% okay. But their own stream was a total disaster. And Ring of Honor had this problem for a while... You know, how is it that people still haven't figured out how this iPay-Per-View thing works? Why are there still such issues with streaming iPay-Per-Views? I don't understand it. I I know there are other, like, indie promotions that do it on a regular basis, and they do just fine with it. I don't don't understand what the issue is. Um, I did see that Jim Ross, who they brought in to do the announcing for the show, him and Cornette were the announce team... Uh, JR tweeted, I guess when he was leaving to come back home, he tweeted that he was flying home business class on American Airlines and they ran out of meals. They ran out of food. And so he's very upset that on that long flight home, he wasn't going to have anything to eat. And he mentioned that his ticket was $6,000. $6,000 for his return ticket. His what culture people must have some big bucks behind them to be paying $6,000 to fly Jim Ross home. Plus whatever his asking fee was, I'm sure he doesn't come cheap. And Cornette, and Del Rio, and Kurt Angle was on that show, and Cody Rhodes. <laughs> they have so much money behind them, they should be able to get that iPay-Per-View stuff fixed. Hopefully for next time they can do that. Don't do what Ring of Honor did. Don't do what Ring of Honor did. Ring of Honor, they had something like three or four iPay-Per-View disasters in a row. Like one or two even. Okay. Get your shit together, it happens, okay. But like, with Ring of Honor, it was one PR disaster after another after another. And like, as it was happening, they weren't even being responsive to people on social media. I get the sense that was the same thing here. You can't do that. I mean, that that just makes it worse. People now are getting really pissed off because nobody's responding to them. I can understand that. So don't do what Ring of Honor did and have three or four disasters in a row and leave people in the dark about what's going on. Because that's an easy way to run off your audience. All right, Monday Night Raw from this past week was live from Los Angeles, California. The Instapoll, almost 1,900 of you voted, 62% thumbs up, 38% thumbs down. Uh, Roman Reigns is still out there calling himself the guy, which is uh, sure to infuriate all of the uh, Kevin Owens fans out there. Not only is Roman Reigns calling himself the guy 
as the U.S. champion, mind you. He is booked to wrestle Rusev for the U.S. title inside Hell in a Cell at the next pay-per-view. And it looks like Kevin Owens' match, uh, whatever that match is, whether it's a singles match against Rollins or a triple threat with Rollins and Jericho, uh, it may not be. In- lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Inside Helena. So we don't know that because it hasn't been announced yet. But unless they're doing three Hell in a Cell matches on one show, which would be overkill, uh, because I'm pretty sure the women are going to get the other one, you'll have the women in one, you'll have Roman in the other one, that would leave Kevin Owens, the uh, universal champion, potentially out of the cell. And <laughs> the the moral of the story, I guess, is that their guy is going to be their guy, whether you like it or not, regardless of who wears the big, ugly red belt Their guy is their guy, and their guy, I guess, is still Roman Reigns. Uh, The match between TJ Perkins and Brian Kendrick, which we had been told, which had been promoted the week before, as a Cruiserweight Championship match, was changed to a non-title match for some reason. Uh, Probably because they realized they wanted to give Kendrick a win, but not give him the belt, at least not until the pay-per-view. Would have been nice of them to figure that out a week earlier. Uh, Kendrick did beat Perkins with a bully choke. They didn't technically open the show with that match. They opened the show with uh, the big dog, cutting a promo. Uh, But this was the first match on the show. And wouldn't you know, the crowd sounded a lot more into it than they have for any other cruiserweight match so far. Although, I will admit, I think both of them are from Los Angeles. Uh, I know Perkins is. So... That probably had something to do with the uh, reaction they got. But still, the crowd, I thought, was was into the match. Seth Rollins did a pre-taped sit-down interview with Michael Cole. He said nothing of any great interest. But what I liked about this, there were two things I liked about this. Number one, they taped this earlier in the day, so there was no crowd noise. And I've said this before. It's okay to not have crowd noise for these things. Like, you can have interviews backstage and not have to pipe in the crowd chanting what... Or just sounding completely indifferent. What, what You know what I really love? The, the, the classic Kevin Dunn shot. Because they do that stupid thing where in the middle of a promo, almost every single one, backstage, they have to give you the live shot. So they go back to the arena for like five seconds, and they show you people looking at the screen. Although half the time, though, they're not even looking at the screen, they're looking at their phones. That That's a great shot. So I like that aspect of this. Uh, the other thing I liked about it, we didn't have to listen to Michael Cole open the segment with WWE. Like he, he, you ever see those sit-down interviews he does on the YouTube channel or on uh, .com every single week? He does like a sit-down interview with somebody. And every single time he opens the interview the same exact way, he goes, 
Hello again, everyone, and welcome to this week's WWE.com interview. I say, like, WWE. Just the way he says it. I get douche chills every time I hear him say it that way. WWE. It's the Michael Cole way of saying it. And he didn't do that here. He didn't do that here. So I was happy. As soon as I saw him sitting in that room, sitting in that chair, I said, oh, God, here it comes. And he didn't do it. So that's about the only thing I liked about this interview. Uh, Braun Strowman beat Chase Silver, who uh, looked like a rental version of Adam Cole. Uh, he said that he had a dream, and that dream was that he was going to beat Braun Strowman. He lied. He didn't. He lost. Quickly and decisively. Uh, after the match, Strowman got on the mic. He actually got some interview time with, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Byron Corbin. Uh, Byron Saxton, not Byron Corbin. Although that would be an interesting hybrid mix of the two. And uh, he got on the mic and he demanded that Mick Foley quit wasting his time and get him some real competition or else. You know, I said before that uh, Luke Harper's been traveling with the Raw brand lately. So, uh, paging Luke Harper, paging Luke Harper, Luke Harper, you're needed in hour two. Luke Harper, please report to hour two. Thank you. They are starting to tease dissension between Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho, which <clears throat> makes me very sad. Uh, Jericho wanted them to go for the tag team titles against the New Day here on this show. Kevin Owens said, yeah, you know, Sheamus and Cesaro, they already are in line for a title shot. And Jericho said, yeah, no problem. Why don't we just wrestle the New Day in a non-title match, and then when we beat them, then we'll get a tag team title shot. And Owens thought about it, and he said, ah, it sounds like too much work. And Jericho said, well, it's not like I'm asking for a shot at your title. And he stared at the Universal belt, and the crowd cheered that. And Kevin Owens quickly changed his mind and said, you know what? Sure, let's do it. Let's wrestle the New Day tonight. So the New Day came out, comedy ensued. Jericho put all of them on the list. Uh, I thought this was pretty entertaining. Actually, Jericho and Owens, they bumped into uh, Ashton Kutcher and Danny Masterson backstage and uh, that turned out to not be as funny as I thought it might be. But uh, Jericho is gold in whatever they give him now. He's, he's pretty much great in everything. They uh, actually aired a promo. I, I had to contain myself. I had to stop myself from laughing. They aired a promo talking about how Anderson and Gallows have dominated the tag team division on Monday Night Raw. Oh, really? Oh, really? Their definition of that word is very different from mine. They did beat the golden truth on this show. How very dominant of them. New Day beat Jericho and Owens when Seth Rollins came out of the distraction. Jericho ended up alone in the ring with Rollins and New Day, and he ate a pedigree. And all Kevin Owens could do, he stood back on the stage and watched. He didn't help his best friend. And so I'm sure that will no doubt lead to some trouble this week on Raw. Speaking of Rollins, finally, somebody stands up to the character assassin, Stephanie McMahon, here on the show. She yelled at Rollins for a little bit. She called him replaceable. She did all of her Stephanie McMahon shtick. And then instead of just walking away like a little puppy dog, Rollins stood up to her. He came right back at her and said, You know, when your husband turned on me, he made the second biggest mistake of his life. And she asked him, Oh, yeah, well, what's the first? And he said, Marrying you. Ooh. He said he'll burn Raw to the ground if he has to to get his hands on Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho. Please do. <laughs> I'm okay with that. He got the last word in here. He walked off. Uh, the camera did linger on Stephanie. She smirked as he left. Uh, because surely you, you don't think this will go unpunished. I mean, this was nice and all, but 
You know that she's going to get her comeuppance. Believe me, Rollins is going to get his payback big time from this woman. But for one night, at least somebody finally got the uh, the last word in on her. Tony Nese beat Rich Swan in a cruiserweight match. Uh, this was a total showcase for Tony Nese, who... I forgot where I saw this, but I read that he's not under contract. I, I, I can't believe they would put him on the show without him signing a contract, so I don't know if i buy that, but... Uh, by the way, can somebody Photoshop Neville's face on the side of a milk carton with the Sound Off logo on it, please? Where the hell has this guy been? He's been banished to superstars for, like, months. It's not even like he's hurt. Like, if he was injured, that'd be one thing, but he's obviously he's wrestling on, on superstars and main event or one of those shows. Why is he not on Raw? And, like, I get if they don't want him as part of the Cruiserweight division yet. Because they're bringing in all of these new guys like a Rich Swan, like a Tony Nese, like a TJ Perkins, and they want to get people acclimated. They don't want to, I don't want to see them using Neville as a job guy to these people. So I get that. You want to put the new guys over first, make people aware of who they are. But why is he not on Raw? He could be doing other things. You got a three hour show. Where is Neville? They showed some hot Instagram photos of Emma, who is getting a character makeover. She's coming back soon as Emmalina. I won't judge it until I see it, although I don't have a good feeling about this. Uh, but I, I saw nothing wrong with Evil Emma, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed they didn't give that more of a chance. They saved the women for the main event on this show. First time the women have headlined Raw since Trish and Lita did it in 2004. Uh, they gave it the big video package treatment and everything. It felt like a pay-per-view match. It almost made you think, hey, this should probably be on a pay-per-view. Uh, they even had footage of them in the video from their BFF days on NXT, although sadly they cut Summer Rae out of all of it. She was very noticeably absent from those vid- from the uh, video package here. She was the leader. She was the leader of the BFF. She was the one that kind of brought everybody together. So that's kind of shitty that they cut her out of that. Uh... So they have this, they, they do the, the entrances and everything, and the bell rings to start the match, and not even a minute later, they cut to commercial. Now, I understand they have a finite number of commercials that have to air during the show. It might not even be their choice. It might be a USA thing. So I, I get that. Commercials are a necessary evil. But they have to do a better job of spreading these commercials out. There is no excuse to immediately cut right to a commercial, 30 seconds or, or a minute into your main event championship match. One thing I will say for Vince Russo, when he was writing during the Attitude Era, all those those Raws and those shows in the late 90s, that is something they never did. Never. I can't remember a single instance, and maybe it happened, and I'm sure if it did, somebody will find it for me. But even if it did, very rarely, if ever, do I remember that happening in the Attitude Era on Raw or SmackDown. That never happened. Do a better job of spreading out your damn commercials because that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I, I, I miss those days where we would have like Jim Ross on commentary and he'd say, all right, folks, we've used up all of our commercials here. We're going to go with this until the end. They don't even do that anymore. But like if you have a commercial in the middle of the match, I, I understand that. Like I'd actually be okay with that. It's this notion that 30 seconds or a minute, and it's not just the main events. They do this with all the matches on the show. But you have a championship main event that you've set up. It's like 10, whatever it was, 10.54, 10.55. It wasn't a long match. And they cut right to a fucking commercial. It was like, are you kidding me with this? Just just do a better job of spreading things out because you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, the match itself was fine. Uh, Charlotte did a, a corkscrew moonsault off the top rope to the floor that looked insanely dangerous. 
she hit natural selection, only got a near fall out of it. Bank statement, roll through by Charlotte into a pin for another near fall. And then finally, another bank statement, and this time there was no escape for the champion. Charlotte taps out for the second time on Raw this year. We have Sasha Banks winning the women's title. Second time. She won the title on Raw in July, and she wins it on Raw here again in October. Uh, crowd was into it. It felt like a big moment because it got ma- the main event treatment. And as you heard from the clip that I played at the beginning of the podcast, I pulled that from the sound off over a year ago. And I said it then. If you want people to take this so-called Divas Revolution seriously, why not give them a big main event on TV? And they did it here, and it worked. It worked. Nobody thought any less of the show because Charlotte and Sasha Banks went on last. I didn't hear a single complaint. Even the ratings. The ratings really weren't any different. I mean, they were no better, but they were no worse. You can do this more often. I was glad. I was happy for them. I was glad they gave them the chance. I, I, now, I wouldn't have changed the title on this show. I don't know why they didn't just save the title change for uh, her, you know, Sasha's hometown at the next pay-per-view. Inside Hell in a Cell... That's when I would have done it, you know. But it was still cool to see them headline and uh, and steal the show. Which brings us to SmackDown. Uh, I didn't get to watch SmackDown until Friday. And as soon as I saw Bray Wyatt and Kane was the opening match, I immediately fast-forwarded through it. Uh, it hey, it might have been a good brawl. I saw Kane was, was bleeding from the mouth, but it doesn't matter. I, I just, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Uh, and the Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt skits were even worse. Although, I I did see... I watched them. I didn't fast forward through those. Uh, and I thought they were bad. But I did see Bray mention Sister Abigail. We haven't heard her mentioned in a while. And I don't know if there's a reason for that. And they're planning on bringing her in finally as a character on the show. But if they are, why not... Crazy Mary Dobson. I saw that she was uh, signed. I think she's signed now. I think they signed her to NXT. Uh, I I am familiar with her. And when I used to think of Sister Abigail, I mean, this goes back to when I thought they actually might bring in a Sister Abigail character. I've long since given up on that because Bray's been around for, what, three years now? Four years? And you would think if we were going to get a Sister Abigail, would have had it by now. Um, and actually, he hasn't been around for that long, but... I remember thinking, well, you know, Paige could even be a good fit for that. I don't know. For some reason, I got the image of, like, somebody with a goth look in my head. Like a Daphne or something. But I also pitched Daphne. Well, this goes back many years. But many years ago on the podcast, I pitched the idea of a sister of destruction for Kane and the Undertaker to kind of make things interesting. Because, I mean, Undertaker was around for, like, five years or six years before we even knew he had a brother. It's not like it's... Too late to introduce uh, a sister. I was like, you know what? I think it would have been cool to introduce Daphne. Like in the role as like a sister of destruction. And I, I forgot how I pitched it. But I remember I did that many years ago. And I could even see somebody like a Daphne as a sister Abigail. I, I remember saying that. But now I look at it and I say like, who on the current roster or who under contract would be a good fit for that character? And I honestly, I don't I don't see anybody who's currently like any diva or or woman I guess they are now. Uh, or or whatever you want to refer to them as superstar. They're all superstars. I don't see anybody on the current roster that would fit. It would be it would be too forced. You're not going to take Sasha Banks and make her sister Abigail. That would be fucking stupid. So I looked at like who they have in NXT and who they have that they just signed, who's coming up through the ranks soon of NXT, and 
I remember Crazy Mary Dobson, and I'm like, you know what? You go go look at like the the makeup and everything else. Like, she would be a good fit for that. I think. I think that would be pretty interesting. I have no idea if that's the direction they're going, but just some food for thought. Uh, I saw the hype bros against uh, the vaudevillains with uh, the Ascension watching from the stage, and again, I just couldn't do it. So I fast forwarded through that. Uh, I did watch. I, I watched SmackDown in like forty five minutes this week. It was great. I watched the Miz TV segment with the success of a failure video Miz put together for Dolph Ziggler, which will be a great name for Dolph's DVD if he ever gets one. Uh, It was a tribute to all the crappy gimmicks and all the crappy segments that Dolph Ziggler has been a part of throughout his entire career. Uh, One of the few men to have feces dropped on him from the ceiling, not once, but twice. Once with the Spirit Squad and then another time in the ring with AJ Lee. That's quite the accomplishment there. And I think also it's quite the metaphor for this guy's career. They even had footage in there from his days as Chavo's caddy back in better times before Chavo suffered all that brain damage that he's suing WWE for. Uh, Miz even brought out Mikey and Kenny from the Spirit Squad. They found them somehow. They, they couldn't get Mitch or Johnny. Uh, according to Meltzer, Johnny has a job now outside of wrestling and could not get off from his job. And Mitch... Uh, moved to Israel and became an Orthodox Jew. So, you know, Tuesday was Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Of course, Mitch couldn't, you know, have been there on the show. So they did a cheer just for Dolph, an old Spirit Squad cheer, and they made fun of him. And then they attacked him when Dolph went to go after the Miz. And Dolph fought back. He super kicked both of them. Almost got Miz too, but Miz bailed. I, I saw the interview that uh, Ziggler did on Talking Smack. Uh, people told me, you got to watch this. So I watched it. Very weird. Very awkward to see him talking about his characters. How his characters over the years have been booked to lose a lot. Now, I love how real everything feels on, on Talking Smack. It's a really, it's a great show. I love it. But I don't need to listen to Dolph Ziggler talking about his character. I'm all for more realism. But you know what? Go watch a Bret Hart promo from 1997. Or, or you know, I've never had to listen to Bret Hart talk about how screwed over his character was. But yet he still found a way to make everything he was saying sound like he was shooting. Like, it, it sounded real. There, I just think there has to be a line between total kayfabe and basically coming out and saying, Hey guys, remember, this is all fake. You know what I mean? Like, like for fuck's sake, the only thing missing from this was replacing Renee Young with Sean Oliver and taking YouTube questions about how big Batista's dick is. Anyway, Jack Swagger beat Baron Corbin by submission with the ankle lock. It was a disputed finish. Corbin was clearly not tapping. He was grasping to get to the bottom rope. And the referee took that as a tap. He called for the bell. JBL knew it, but the other, uh, you know, dingbats played dumb, and, and Corbin... And what's disappointing, too, because Mauro Ranallo, I have great respect for Mauro Ranallo, and yet he was playing, you know, he was playing dumb. And Corbin got really upset, and he destroyed stuff around ringside in a fit of rage. It was a clever way to set up a rematch. I'll give them that. Uh, Closing segment was a face-to-face-to-face between AJ Styles, John Cena, and Dean Ambrose. Styles said Cena will never be in the same league as Ric Flair. That's right, because John Cena has never made up stories about having sex with Halle Berry. So John Cena can never be Ric Flair. How pathetic is that, by the way? 
that Ric Flair is uh, on his uh, podcast or whatever telling stories about how he uh, he fucked Halle Berry back in the day. If I had to believe one person over the other, I would believe Halle Berry over Ric Flair. Um, he had a great line. Ambrose, I want to give Ambrose credit here. Ambrose uh, ripped on Cena for being fake, and he had a great line here where he said, I'll be Dean Ambrose, because that's real. Have fun being the guy who plays John Cena on TV. I thought that was great. And Cena just says, you know, talk is cheap, and he... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attacks him and it breaks then into a into a melee, as Vince McMahon used to say. So uh, an AA to Dean Ambrose, an AA to AJ Styles. Cena posed with the belt. Then he got laid out by Styles outside the ring with a forearm. And uh, Styles gets laid out by Ambrose. And Ambrose is the one posing with the belt to end the show. I said this earlier. I think they've done a hell of a job hyping up this triple threat match tonight. I expect a great match, given all the parties involved. But no way is Styles losing the title this early. I'm actually not wearing pants, and that's how I watch NXT every single week. You know, it's funny. During the NXT review last week... I mentioned Mandy Rose and how her and Patrick Clark made it to NXT TV before the actual winners of Tough Enough ever did, which were uh, Josh and Sarah Lee. And then either, I think it was later that same day, uh, when the podcast dropped, came the news that WWE has released Sarah Lee. Uh, or I guess she she was released, I think, two days earlier, but that Sunday the announcement came out. Uh, she wrestled maybe a handful of matches at live events over the summer, I think, but that was it. She never made it to TV. And the same day her release was announced, she went public with the news that she was pregnant with Wesley Blake's baby. wonder if uh, Murphy will be the best man. I'd imagine her getting pregnant didn't help matters, but I'm, I'm guessing she was on the bubble already anyway, because it had already been a, a year, I think, right? Or was it just over a year? Since uh, she won that contract from Tough Enough. That was a $250,000 contract that she won. $250,000. A quarter of a million dollars to not wrestle. It's not a bad gig if you can get it. But I, I doubt they wanted to re-sign her anywhere near that. So, unless they saw something in her, she probably was going to be gone anyway. Or maybe they did see something in her. It just so happened to be a fetus. And so they fired her. For their sake, they better hope that's not the case, or they may be in for one hell of a lawsuit. We have the uh, full list here for the Dusty Classic. I announced uh, some of the teams last week, including Cody Ibushi and Hideo Itami. Uh, the additional teams here, I just want to run them off here. Sanity, which is making its uh, debut on NXT this upcoming week. 
Austin Aries and a mystery partner. Mystery partner. Uh, I read something about who the partner might be. Uh, it is a spoiler. If you don't want to know, just skip ahead. Skip ahead ten or fifteen seconds. I'm I'm just giving you a quick warning here. So the uh, the mystery partner for Austin Aries is rumored to be Mr. ROH, Roderick Strong, who is signed and who is supposed to be debuting soon, so I guess that would be as good of a spot as any for him to make his debut. Uh, we also have No Way Jose and Rich Swan as a team, Tony Nese and Drew Gulak, Lince Dorado and Mustafa Ali, and uh, Ho Ho Loon and Bin, Bin Wang, or Wang, right, the uh, first Chinese star that they ever signed. And uh, I, hope I'm spell- I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I have, uh, it's either Nico or Nico uh, Bogodrovic, I believe is his name. And Tucker Knight, they are a team. And so I went online to find out about this uh, Bogodrovic person. And it says here that he was a standout amateur heavyweight at Colorado State University and a medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling at the Pan American Games. And uh, he also studies under Olympic gold medalist Rulon Gardner. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. What the hell happened to Rulon Gardner? Have you? I saw a photo of him. He looked like he was 500 pounds. I don't know how recent that photo was. I hope it wasn't too recent, but my God. Jesus. I mean, I remember reading years ago that he was in some sort of uh, an accident. Like he got stuck up in the mountains somewhere and he had to have like a, his, his, what was it, like a pinky toe amputated or something was amputated. But man, I mean, this guy used to be an Olympic wrestler, and he just blo- his weight just ballooned out of control. And I don't hear anything about him now. So on this week's episode of NXT, uh, there were four other teams in this tournament. We already got the first two matches. We had the Bollywood Boys getting squashed by the Authors of Pain, who advanced in the tournament, and the Revival, who also advanced. They went over on Cedric Alexander and Andrade Cien Almas in the main event with the Shatter Machine to Alexander. And after the match, Almas viciously attacked Cedric, left him laying outside the ring. A heel turn, which is just what this guy needed. This might just be enough to turn things around for him. Uh, people were already giving him shit whenever he would come out. So, you know what? Why not run with that? Why not just embrace it? This guy was drowning as a babyface. So I think this is a good move. I like it. Uh, other things on the show, we had Rich Swan and Patrick Clark in a match. Patrick Clark is now doing a, a very effeminate gimmick. He was wearing a headband that was bedazzled with jewels. Uh, it still wasn't enough to win. Swan finished him off with a standing moonsault. Peyton Royce, with Billy Kay in her corner, uh, beat the newcomer Danielle Camella. Danielle Camella was one of the top 30 finalists for last year's Tough Enough, who uh, did not make the final cut. She went to go train at Rikishi School. And then after that, she was signed, uh, I want to say March. I think it was March or April that I read of this year is when she got signed. So Royce won with a kick to the head, Fisherman Suplex, which Tom Phillips referred to as a Northern Light Suplex. Damn it, Tom. Come on. We were finally about to see the debut of Dan Matha, who they've been hyping up on TV for weeks as this big jacked-up guy who just stands there and looks mean. Well, he's not as jacked as I uh, thought he would be. He's not jacked so much as he is big. They claim he's about six foot eight. It was hard to notice anything else because of the unbelievably distracting amount of body acne that this guy has. Holy shit! This guy's back knee has back knee. 
his chest, his arms, his legs. I mean, just acne everywhere. Jesus Christ. I mean, somebody give this guy a piss test. That's all I could think of. As he walked to the ring and the camera zoomed in on him, I'm like, oh my God. Samoa Joe was so disgusted by this guy's body acne that he marched down to the ring, beat the shit out of him, and then threw him out of the ring. And he then got on the mic and told William Regal, give me Nakamura or give me my title. And he walked out. So, hell of a debut for Matha. Main event was the revival over Alexander and Almas, which I already mentioned. I think, again, turning this guy heel was the best thing they could have done with him. And, you know, for his sake, hopefully it works out. Because this may be his last shot. Uh, I mentioned one of our loyal listeners earlier, the Black Buck, Matt Harrigan. Matt is the CEO of the Superkick Foundation, which is a real foundation. And it's Superkick the Holidays Fundraiser. He did one last year that exceeded their goal. He raised over $1,000 to provide Young Bucks merchandise. As you can tell, he is a big Young Bucks fan. Uh, Young Bucks merch uh, to clothe the homeless here in New York. And, uh, you know, many of whom are veterans who have no place to live and no warm clothes for when the weather gets cold. And believe me, here in New York, the winters can be brutal. Brutal. So this year, he is looking to raise $3,000 by December 1st uh, to buy not just Young Bucks gear, but, you know, gear for other independent wrestlers. So, in effect, you're getting to, you're supporting the wrestlers as well by buying their merch. And you're also then taking those clothes and providing them to people who need them the most. Uh, He's also looking to use the money to buy action figures and other wrestling toys for kids for Christmas. I think it's very cool it's a very selfless thing that Matt is doing. I know he put a lot of work into this last year. Uh, he's a better man than I. Uh, as was the case last year, 100% of your donations go to this cause. So if you would like to contribute, it's very easy. Just go to www.superkickfoundation.org. And you can donate right there from the main page. I think there is a donate link as well up on the top of the page if you want to just go directly through PayPal, for example. But... There should be a way right there on the main page to go ahead and donate. I've already made a donation myself on behalf of the Sound Off, and I hope that you can as well. Lucha Underground. Dario Cueto busted out his Dial of Doom to start the show, and the wheel landed on Prince Puma as Matanza's opponent later in the show. Uh, Ivelisse, we haven't seen Ivelisse in a while. She took on Mariposa with Marty the Moth in her corner. Ivelisse won with a code red, but she was beaten down after by Mariposa and Marty. Fast forward to later in the show, we see her back in the locker room changing, and not in that way, but uh, she's uh, sitting on a bench. And uh, we see Ivelisse's new boyfriend, Jeremiah, show up, played by none other than Sammy Callahan. And he told her that, I told you I would be there to watch you wrestle, and he didn't realize that he was late and already missed her match, and she was none too happy about that. She was in no mood to deal with his shit. So this relationship is already off to a fantastic start. Back in Dario's office, Johnny Mundo is not happy about Prince Puma getting a title shot ahead of him. Dario says, well, it must be fate. And Mundo flashes his abs for no reason at all, other than just to show them off, this fucker. And I guess they're, uh, you know, to prove that they're from hard work. This is the product of hard work and not fate. He does have some amazing abs. I will give him that. I I think that him and Ricochet should have an ab off. You can throw uh, Finn Balor in there. I have abs too. It's just that, you know, they're protected by a layer of fat. Just keeping them safe. 
Mundo says he'll settle for a Gift of the Gods title shot instead, since his team beat Sexy Star last week in that big tag team match. And Dario says, you know what, you're right, but it was Jack Evans who pinned her, and so Jack Evans will be the one getting a title shot next week, I presume. Speaking of uh, his team, I guess I should uh, mention this here. PJ Black, who was part of the Worldwide Underground here with Jack Evans and Johnny Mundo, he is going to be gone for a while because he broke both of his ankles in a base jumping accident in South Africa, which I know he's he's from South Africa. Uh, I mean, it's it's bad enough hobbling around on one broken ankle. Imagine two. So uh, he's going to be gone for a while. They call him Cage and Tejano in match two of their best of five series. Cage wins again, this time with an F5 to go up 2-0 in the series. I don't really have much else to say about it. Finally, we had Prince Puma against the Monster Matanza for the Lucha Underground Championship. Dario is great at rinks. I love, I mean, I love everything about Dario Cueto. I have just praised this guy before up the wazoo, but he's a great cheerleader for his brother when he's out there, uh, at ringside. I think he'd have made a great pro wrestling manager in another era. I could see him, like, making trades back and forth, trading guys with uh, Bobby Heenan and Slick. He would have fit right in there. Uh, this is really good. This is a really good match. Puma is a strong motherfucker. He doesn't, he doesn't look like it. I mean, he's got, he's got a great look and everything, but it's not like he looks like this overly powerful guy. But he did the roll through into a suplex spot on Matanza. And it took some effort, but he got him up for it. That is not an easy thing to do. And, uh, Puma hit the 630 on Matanza, but as soon as he got up from the 630, Mil Muertes was there to greet him, and he speared the bejesus out of this guy. Oh my god, that was the greatest spear I think I've ever seen. I think that was the best spear ever. Puma got turned inside out. Now, I mean, it wasn't as fatal as uh, Goldberg's spear on Nunzio that time in the Royal Rumble. Goldberg pretty much whacked Nunzio in that match, but I thought that this spear here, this spear was just... This spear was lit, right? As all the cool kids say. Is that what they say, right? It's lit. See, I don't mind lit. I don't mind that word. You know why? Because I lived through the 90s. I lived through the 90s when the phrase, all that in a bag of chips, somehow became a thing. And to this day, if I, if I hear somebody say that, I want to take that bag of chips and I want to shove it up their ass. Can't stand that phrase. So the referee went to call for the DQ, but Dario told him not to. This was now a no DQ match, he said. And Mil Muertes gave Puma the flatliner. He leaves. That allows Matanza to recover. He hits the Wrath of the Gods suplex, and he gets the pin to retain his title. Backstage, to close out the show, we see Killshot working out in the gym. Joey Ryan drops off an envelope. He says, some guy gave this to me to give to you. And Killshot wants to know more about this guy, and Ryan's like, what do you, what do you want from me? I'm not a detective. I thought that was clever. Uh, Killshot opens the envelope, and inside is a burned-out note that says, You left me for dead. That's the same note I send to WWE at 11.10 every Monday when Raw goes off the air. Somehow I manage to survive every week. I don't know how, but I do. And that was Lucha Underground. Fine show, you know, nothing wrong with it. Good, uh, really good main event. Advance some stories, and anytime I get to see Dario doing his thing, to me, is a good week. So let's get to the mailbag and take your questions. Don't forget to please include your name and where you are from when you write in. The Solomonster at gmail.com is the place to go. No big sad tweets this week, uh, other than Dixie Carter tweeting and then deleting uh, during Impact a message 
hyping an X Division match that was coming up and accidentally tagging Trevor Noah of The Daily Show instead of Trevor Lee. And uh, actually, Trevor Lee might be doing better ratings on Impact at this point than Trevor Noah is. Keith in Pennsylvania, if you were in charge of booking next year's Royal Rumble in Texas and getting 60,000 paying fans, how would you do it? What would be your main event, and what surprise entrance would be in the Rumble match? Uh, By the way, Keith's wife just gave birth to a little girl, Ariella, so I want to wish him all the best. Hopefully, uh, mother and daughter are doing well. Uh, I already answered this question directly to him, but I wanted to answer it here, too. Uh, WWE supposedly made an offer uh, earlier this year to Shawn Michaels to make a cameo in the Royal Rumble match earlier this year, and he turned him down. And I'm sure he's turned them down many other times before because he has stayed true to his word that his match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 26 would be his last. He is one of the few. It has been six going on seven years almost, and he has stuck to his guns, and I respect him for it. But you know the WWE is going to be coming back to him if they haven't already, and they're going to want to talk. They're going to want to talk turkey. They're going to they're going to dangle the carrot. It's your old hometown. It's San Antonio, Texas. It's 20 years after you beat Sid to win the championship in the Alamo Dome. And they're going to try to get him back. And if they don't try to get him back, they're out of their mind. They absolutely should try to get him to come out of retirement for one more match. What I would do is I would go back to him again. And I would blow him away with an offer to come back and challenge AJ Styles for the WWE Championship. I think if you could convince Shawn Michaels to come back for one more match, why waste it on a cameo in the Royal Rumble match? Especially if he's not going to win, which he shouldn't. But him and AJ, one-on-one for the championship. I mean, you could shoot for WrestleMania, but if you're in San Antonio, and it's a one-time special attraction deal that you convince him to come back for, you've got 70,000 seats to fill. That's the time to do it. If AJ is still the champ by WrestleMania, he's probably dropping it to Cena or someone. So the time to do it is the Rumble, because Sean's not going to WrestleMania to win the championship. I would try to get him to do the show, and imagine the match that those two guys would have, and and the story that they could tell, and the reaction that Sean would get walking back into the Alamo Dome 20 years later, once again, challenging for the WWE Championship. If they could get him to come back, they could do better than just a cameo in the Rumble. And then... To go with what I suggested uh, earlier in the podcast, you do Goldberg against Lesnar in a special attraction match on the undercard, because if they already have their plans for Lesnar at WrestleMania, then the time to do that match with Goldberg is the Rumble in the Alamo Dome. So there's your big attraction match on the undercard. You've got Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement to challenge AJ Styles for the championship in his hometown. And on top of that, you've got the Rumble match itself. That's a hell of a show right there. That is a hell of a show. And and an easy way to pack that building. Now, if Goldberg and Lesnar doesn't happen, what about the idea that I pitched for this year's Rumble? Which would still work just as well next year. Actually, it might even work better in a building that big. Lesnar's in the Rumble match. Okay, If he's not wrestling Goldberg, put Brock in the Rumble again like he did this year. And this time, he's cleaning house, he's in there by himself, he's waiting for the next guy to come out, the buzzer hits zero, and out comes Kurt Angle. I wouldn't put Sean in there for a cameo in the Rumble, I'd give him a match, but I'd put Kurt Angle 
as a surprise entrant in that Royal Rumble. You tease an Angle-Lesnar confrontation as he's coming down to the ring. They go at it maybe for like a minute or so before the next person comes out. Or maybe somebody's like laying low on the outside and they sneak back into the ring and they break it up. You don't want to give too much away in case you want to build to a match between these two guys at WrestleMania. Maybe not the best idea for Kurt's health to have a singles match with uh, with Brock Lesnar. But there's no reason why they couldn't do that spot in the Rumble match. Even if it was just the spot. And that's all they do together. Because you know the place would go nuts for it. Now as far as who wins the Rumble, I still think it's too early. I mean, it's October. It's too early to say. If I knew that Finn Balor would make it back in time, and I don't know that he... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Is going to be able to come back in time, but if let's say Finn Balor is going to be able to come back for the Rumble. They keep that they keep that as a surprise and you have him come out as a surprise in the Rumble match with the big spectacular entrance at the Alamo Dome and he wins the Rumble and he gets his universal title match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. That that's what I would do. But you look at that lineup, that's a hell of a lineup if they could pull that off for the Royal Rumble. Sam from Toronto, seeing as WWE is really teasing the idea of Cena tying Ric Flair's 16 world titles and with the rumor of Undertaker versus Cena being Taker's last match, it makes me think that Cena might beat AJ Styles for the title sometime between now and the Royal Rumble. And they would do what they did back in 2006 with Trish Stratus winning the women's title in her retirement match, with the Undertaker beating Cena in his last match at Mania and winning the championship. I wouldn't want this because I'd rather not have the title taken off of Styles uh, when he's doing so well with it, but I would like your take on this idea. I don't like it. I don't like it because there's no need for it to be a championship match. I mean, The Undertaker at this point just goes far beyond the championships. I mean, he's got his own, I guess not the streak anymore, but he's got his own kind of legacy. And when the time comes that he has his last match, I don't believe that he's wrestled his last match. Even if he were to take this year off, I'm still not convinced he's wrestled his last match. And I'm sure he will be on the card at WrestleMania, whether it's against Cena or someone else. Uh, but I think at some point, whether it's next year or the year after, there's going to come an end point for this guy. And I, I hope that they at least tease that or make that clear in advance or maybe have Undertaker come right out and say it. Because that's going to be a big, big deal when he wrestles his last match. And it's it goes far beyond championships. Championships will be completely insignificant compared to uh, if, if Undertaker has a match that's billed as his final match. Basically, you know what? Do what they didn't do. For Steve Austin at WrestleMania 19. I just answered that question last week. Hindsight being 2020, should they have promoted that as his final match? Yeah, they should have. And I would have gone one step further and promoted it as a retirement match uh, or a loser leaves town match or whatever you want to call it between him and Rock and leave some doubt as to who was going to be the one whose career was coming to an end. So you could do something similar with Undertaker. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be your career versus my career, but make it clear that this is probably going to be it or this is going to be it for him. And, you know, people would want to see him, I'm sure, go out as a winner. And, and if it's Cena, you know, beat Cena with a tombstone or something. But I would not make that 
for the championship because you can get a title match and a special attraction match out of it. There's no need to kind of blend the two together. Why why just get one big match when you can get two? Brian from Tennessee. If Ricochet wasn't tied down to Lucha Underground, how far would he have gone, do you think, in the Cruiserweight Classic? Oh, I, I think... Look, if Kota Ibushi is in this tournament and he's not signed to a contract, uh, I think Ricochet wins the entire thing. Not Not a doubt in my mind. And they would have built the Cruiserweight division around him instead of TJP. Brian from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was going through the archives of... Uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletters and ran across an article claiming that Shawn Michaels, after his loss to Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14, was attempting to rehab his bad back before ultimately going through with the back surgery a year after his casket match with The Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. Later, in several instances, including when Shawn superkicked and cost Rock the WWF title on the very first episode of SmackDown, And again, when he announced Mick Foley as the new commissioner of WWE on an episode of Raw in 2000, Michaels performed a one-handed lariat out of the ring. I know Shawn had a legit bad back, but it always seems that when people tell the Shawn Michaels story, they tell the story as the back injury is what caused him to leave wrestling for four and a half years, when it honestly seems like he could have returned in 2000 if he would have wanted to. They even seem to be building to a match with The Rock for a while, and according to a story that you've told on the podcast, the plan was supposedly for Sean to have some sort of role in the Undertaker-Triple H match at WrestleMania 17, but because of Sean's drug issues at the time, those plans were scrapped. My question is, do you think the extent of Sean's back injury is over-exaggerated? I don't think it's over-exaggerated. I, I think he had a very serious back injury, and he had he did try to rehab it. Uh, I guess, again, it just didn't work. And he had the surgery, I think it was the beginning of 99. Uh, I think. It's weird because, you know, he was still on TV at that point. Even at WrestleMania that year, he made an appearance. So I guess it depends on the severity of the back injury. You know, he could have been up on his feet within a few weeks. But my understanding was always that he opted not to get back surgery immediately. He was going to try to rehab it. And then ultimately, like you said, he did have the surgery early in 99, um, and I, I don't doubt that he probably thought that's probably it for me. You know, I mean, I'm having back surgery for God's sakes. That's probably the end of my career. I think back surgery is what ended, uh, Ricky Steamboat's kid. It what was a Richie Steamboat. One of the reasons we never got to see him, he was in FCW and he had to bow out because of injuries. He had a bad back, you know, Rick Root, his career ended because of a bad back. That's not an injury to fuck around with. Tyson Kidd doesn't even have feeling in his head. Because, you know, he suffered such a badly broken neck that he should be dead right now. And he ain't wrestling again either. Not in WWE, at least. So, you know, a bad neck, a bad back. Those are injuries that can easily cost you a career. And I'm sure, initially, he was probably nervous. I'm sure he wanted to wrestle badly. But, you know, he probably wanted to just take his time and not run the risk of undoing, uh, you know, what the surgery did. So if he had surgery in 99, uh, he did wrestle a match in 2000. He did wrestle, it just wasn't for WWE, but he absolutely wrestled the match in 2000. I know it because it's on YouTube somewhere and I watched it. Uh, that was back when he was running his own promotion or a school. The, well, the school was the Texas Wrestling Alliance or the Texas Wrestling Academy. I think 
he ran a promotion, I think it was, what the hell was the name of that promotion? I think it might have had an X in the name, I don't remember, but he had a match against someone called Venom. And, you know, he was wearing, I think, jeans and street clothes, and I watched it. And it actually wasn't a bad match, and he did some of the usual Shawn Michaels spots in the match, and, you know, there were a lot of weapons involved and, and kind of smoke and mirrors and stuff like that. But I want to say it was in the spring of 2000 that he had that match, and he looked fine. And maybe that was his way of testing himself to see, okay, can I still go? How does my back hold up? Do I still have it? Am I rusty? How do I feel? So he wrestled in 2000. Uh, he did some stuff for WWE, but he still had his, you know, he still had his issues. And you mentioned in 01, that was my understanding is that he was probably going to be the guest referee for the Sean, uh, or for the Triple H Undertaker match, uh, at X7. And I think as the story goes, he showed up to one of the Raws in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania in, uh, quote, no condition to perform. And it might have been Triple H who actually had him uh, either told Vince or had him removed or told him to leave. And I think that might have been what led to... Uh, I know there were some issues with him and Triple H, and I, I don't know... I don't know what they were about. I know there was a period of time that went by where they weren't on speaking terms. Um, but the thing in 01 might have been after that. So... Sean was in no condition to perform. They sent him home. He wasn't even at WrestleMania. And you know they would have wanted him there because it was in Texas. So he wasn't there. And thankfully for him, he got his life together. He got married. He had kids. And, and you know, he's doing a lot better now than he was in the late 90s. Um, was the injury exaggerated? I never got the impression they were over-exaggerating it. When he came back in 02, it was part of the story, right? He had this catastrophic injury. He was on the shelf for four and a half years. They played that back injury up uh, in, in storyline. Like in the match when he came back against Triple H, Triple H targeted the back, right? He gave him backbreakers, and they they kind of weave that into the story. Um, but I don't, I don't think they over-exaggerated it. I just think um, there was some question about whether or not Sean would be able to perform. And when they finally had an idea for him, uh, he said, sure, let's give it a shot. And the rest is history. It was it was a whole new career. It was literally like a whole other career that he had for himself. Uh, those eight years from O two to to twenty ten. It was it was. I can't think of too many other people that when you look at them, it's like they had two different careers for themselves. It's like uh, you know B C and A D. I think is how I've described it before. Uh, now, you mentioned The Rock. It looked like he was going to feud with The Rock, and it didn't happen. The Rock didn't want to work with him, so that was never going to happen. Uh, I'm sure he would have gladly worked with The Rock, uh, but that was always the story, that The Rock still harbored bad feelings towards him because of uh, the way that he treated people when he and Janetti and worked for, I guess it would have been his grandmother, because uh, he comes from a family The Rock does of wrestling promoters. His own mother used to promote wrestling events, and I guess in Hawaii they promoted, and Sean was being a dick back in the day, and I know when Brett was still around, like in 97, um, Rock was like a Brett guy, because Brett took him under his wing, and he kind of mentored him, and gave him advice, and I know he, he worked a match with him on Raw once, and so my guess is that probably didn't help because uh, he was he was a Bret Hart guy, and he saw how Bret Hart was treated by Sean and the Click, and uh, they they were never going to work a match together. They, it's not like they they were close to making it happen. It was never going to happen. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it was over exaggerated. I just think 
there was some question about whether or not he'd be able to come back, and he took his time. And again, when they had an idea for him, they brought him back. Simple as that, but it was a very serious injury. Uh, Kieran, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, from Dublin, Ireland. I was just wondering about a comment you made on your last podcast. You stated that it's about time the UK gets a big pay-per-view event. As I live in Dublin, I'm waiting with bated breath for that day. However, my question is in regards to how this impacts the US audience. I know they did NXT London last December, and I remember a lot of complaints about the time difference and the spoilers from that show. Considering that a SummerSlam or a Royal Rumble is three or four hours long with the pre-show added in, how would the U.S. audience feel about a pay-per-view that started around noon or 1 p.m. their time? Good question. So let's put it to all the U.S. folks that are listening to this. Would you mind if one of the big pay-per-views, even WrestleMania, aired live uh, six hours earlier on a Sunday? Would you care? Would you be okay with that? And let me know. Me personally, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care at all. Uh, it would screw up my recording schedule for this podcast since I record early on Sundays, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind it at all. You know, and look, when they had that Beast in the East special on the network from Japan, it aired live here at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. So all I did was I said, okay, I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. to watch this. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to wake up normal time, whatever normal, normal time is probably freaking 7 a.m. anyway, because my body is so used to waking up early during the week on the weekends, I just wake up early anyway, even without an alarm. But I'm just going to wake up normal time, and I'll stay off Twitter and Facebook. Some people just can't do that. And then, like, even in our group sometimes, people will complain, oh, you spoiled it for me. It's like, dude, like, there are times when people can be dicks, and they'll spoil things, and they really have no business doing that. But if it's something that's already aired on TV, and people want to have a discussion about it, it ain't a fucking spoiler. Get over yourself. Like, me, if there's something that I don't want to have spoiled, I know enough in my brain to stay away from Twitter and even stay away from Facebook. I can post stuff, but don't go looking at my timeline. Don't go through the group. Don't go through this. Don't go through that. I'm smart enough to know not to do that. So to me, the whole spoiler thing, well, people will be upset because of spoilers if you do an event from the UK. Oh, it's like, give me a break. Like, like, fuck off with that. That is not a legitimate excuse. You can easily avoid spoilers if you make even one-tenth of an attempt to do so. So that's not a, a, a valid excuse for not wanting to see a, a pay-per-view uh, in the UK. Now, I, I understand if it was a WrestleMania, and it's six hours before, and it's already aired... And it's like, man, you know, six hours, it's WrestleMania, I want to be on social media, I want to talk to people. I get it. Like a, like a big event like that, I get that. That would be different than Beast in the East. But still, you could very easily avoid spoilers and still enjoy the show. So for one time, for a one-time event, if they wanted to take a SummerSlam or a Royal Rumble and do that, I don't see what the big deal is. Yasser from London, UK. Why did WWE pick Scott Hall to face Steve Austin at WrestleMania 18 over Kevin Nash? Even at the time, this seemed odd to me since Nash was more of a main eventer than Hall and had been world champion in both WWE and WCW. I was watching the Scott Hall documentary recently, and even there they said Hall was having major substance abuse problems around that time. So was Nash injured, or was there some other reason? Hall didn't seem like a credible enough threat to even think that Austin would lose that match. It would have worked much better against Nash or a handicap match against the Outsiders. 
I don't think Nash was hurt because I, didn't Nash wrestle on TV like the week before WrestleMania? Like Nash was wrestling. So unless it literally was an injury that happened right before, like days before WrestleMania, I don't think he had an injury. The story I always heard, and, and you mentioned the substance abuse problems that Hall was having at the time, so it would make sense, is that in case Scott kind of fell off the wagon or had some kind of an issue, something happened, and he couldn't do the match with Austin, they at least then would have Nash on standby as like a backup to replace him. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what always seemed to make the most sense to me. And in fact, Scott Hall didn't last very long after WrestleMania, right? I mean, he had the match with Austin. That was probably... When was WrestleMania 18? I feel like that was one of the earliest WrestleManias they've done. I think the earliest Mania they've done... Hmm, that's a good question. It might have been WrestleMania 20. WrestleMania 20... Was that March 14? March 14. If March 14th was a Sunday, then WrestleMania 20 was March 14th in uh, in uh, 2000. And what year was that? <laughs> what year was WrestleMania 20? 2004. Okay, so I think that might have been the earliest Mania. But I think WrestleMania 18 was an early show, too. It was like mid-March or something. So he had the match with Austin at Mania. And then I think he was around for like a month or a month and a half. And then he was gone. He probably lasted longer than most people thought he would. But he didn't last that much longer after WrestleMania. So I think it makes a lot of sense that they would have kept Nash on standby in case something happened with Scott Hall. Vineet from Mumbai, India. Buy or sell on Mr. Perfect or Ravishing Rick Rude on the careers they had, what they could have achieved had they not been injured, and would have lived longer, and who among them could most likely have won the WWE title if they had remained with the company without switching over to WCW? Both were childhood friends, accomplished wrestlers, good with the mic, and had wrestled in the two major promotions, often switching sides. Both had debilitating injuries that kept them away from the ring, forcing them to adopt non-wrestling roles and also getting them huge insurance money for it. Both had won world titles in other promotions, but never in WWE. You know, when you put it in those terms, it actually is kind of eerie how similar the two of them are. I mean, I know when Rude died, uh, Perfect did like a whole, like an editorial or something. Because I remember reading it online and he talked about how they went to, I think it was high school or together maybe that they went to in Minnesota. So they legit knew each other since childhood. And again, like wrestling wise, I would put them kind of on the same... I mean, really, when you think about it, it is really scary how similar the two of them are. Like, as wrestlers, I'd say they were on par. One of the things that Perfect is known for were his his bumps, like his over-exaggerated bumps. Rude was a hell of a bumper, too. Rick Rude was also a good bumper in the ring. Um, both of them were a heel, were, were heels for, I think, the, the majority of their careers in both promotions. Uh, perfect, or Hennig, I should say, won the, uh, the AWA world title, and Rude won the, uh, that whole world title lineage at that point in WCW in the early 90s is all confusing. I, I think he, I think he was the world champion, basically, or the international champion, whatever. Rude had one of the top belts in the company. So he also was a world champion outside of, of WWE. Both of them also managed by Bobby Heenan. So there's another similarity between the two of them. Perfect had a bad back. Rude suffered a bad back. His career ended because of it. Perfect's career ended because of it, although he did come back. That's amazing to me 
the similarities between the two of them. Um, this might be the closest thing to a tie that I've ever done for a buy or sell uh, because I grew up a big fan of Mr. Perfect. I'm still to this day a big fan of Mr. Perfect. Like Mr. Perfect and the Macho Man, I'll always be a fan of those guys. But if I had a buy or sell on one, like who had the bigger potential as a world champion and... You know, I'd probably buy on Rude. I'd probably buy on Rick Rude and I'd sell on Mr. Perfect. But to me, it's, it's a virtual tie, though, between these two guys. I would give Rude the edge for this reason. Rude had the body for it at a time when that was still really, really important. Uh, he looked the part. He, I think, was a great heel. And he was good on the microphone. And Perfect, too. Perfect also. I, I Perfect might have the, the verbal edge slightly, but they were, again, they were very similar. They're very similar, I think, even on the microphone. But Rude had that, I don't know, he had that world champion vibe about it. Maybe it's because I, I, I saw him wrestle in like world title matches in WCW against like a lot of the top stars there. Flair, Sting, Steamboat. Um, so I, I would give him the slight edge. I, I would give Rick Rude the slight edge and buy on him. But when you really like lay everything out like I just did... It's a lot of similarities between the two of them. It's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to pick. Brianna from Jackson, Mississippi. Up until a day or two ago, I was under the impression that once Vince Russo voluntarily left WWE in 1999 to work for WCW, that he never returned to the company. However, I was informed by a friend who listens to Russo's podcast that Russo was in fact rehired by WWE in 2002. Is this true? I've never heard of this, and if so. When did he leave the company again? So yeah, the Russo thing in 02 is is kind of a funny story because uh, they were panicking as far as their creative was concerned. This was right around the time that Austin left because he was unhappy with creative and their ratings were going down and, and so Vince panicked and he brought back Vince Russo. He rehired Vince Russo. And I don't know if Penn was ever put to paper, the contract was already signed... I don't know that, but he, re- he basically rehired him, and he had him come in and meet with the, the rest of the writers and the creative team to pitch his vision for what he wanted to do, and I've heard different stories about what was pitched. He wanted to do a reset and kind of uh, change all the champions. I, I don't know. I've heard also that he pitched an invasion idea that actually uh, sounded very similar to the invasion idea that I've been pitching over the years, so he, he pitched a bunch of stuff that basically... Uh, worried the writers, and the writers were like, this guy's out of his mind. Uh, and probably also worried because here comes this guy who wants to make wholesale changes to the product. Oh shit, my job might be in jeopardy here. Because if he pitches all these big ideas and Vince greenlights them and we do it, and the product the ratings do go up and the product does get better, all of a sudden that team of writers is expendable. Right? So they're not interested in Vince Russo coming in and saving the day because it reflects badly on them. But the thing is, and I think I've heard Russo tell the story before, Stephanie McMahon at that point, I think, was kind of the head of the creative team. And it was political. You know, it was political. He came in like a like a, like a a shitstorm and pitched all these ideas. And it ruffled a bunch of feathers. And it, it was kind of almost like a slap in the face of Stephanie. Because here he was coming in and basically being brutally honest with them about all of the problems and all of these criticisms of the product. Not realizing, probably, that, in effect, he was kind of insulting Stephanie, and that's just not something that you do. And uh, I think as he tells the story, like, the next day or something, Vince called him and said, yeah, this is not going to work. 
And I think they wanted to make him a consultant, and Russo wasn't interested in being a consultant. He wanted to take over and, and change things. And so as quickly as he was hired, he was he was fired. He was gone. Uh, was he fired? Did he walk away? It sounded like a mutual thing. But he was literally back for like a day, and that was it. And uh, And that's the story. So we'll never know what might have happened had Vince Russo once again taken over the reins and had Vince McMahon as a filter and, you know. All I, I know this, at least on SmackDown, I can't say this necessarily for Raw, but at least for SmackDown, that period from that, like that point of 02 into 03 were the glory days of SmackDown. And I think Paul Heyman was doing writing for a good part of it, so SmackDown did just fine. I'm, I was very happy with where SmackDown went after that. Raw, it's hard to imagine that Vince Russo, you know, with Vince McMahon kind of overseeing everything, could have been much worse than the whole Triple H reign of terror uh, that began in, in late 02. It's hard to believe Raw could have been much more boring than that. That was not my favorite period of Raw. I've said this many times before. Uh, if you compare it to the product now, would I take Raw back then over Raw now? Absolutely, because Raw back then was still only two hours, and they had a lot more star power than they do now, and yeah, I probably would, in all honesty, but SmackDown did great, so no regrets about where SmackDown went after that. And uh, lastly here, speaking of Russo, Joe from Shropshire, England has an audio buy or sell. Hey Solar Monster, Joe from Shropshire here, and I've got a classic question. It's a buy or sell. Who do you think was the better wrestling figure in terms of helping the industry as a whole? Do you think it was Vince Russo or Dixie Carter? Now there are pros, but mainly cons to both of these two. So good luck having to decide. Well, you guys love putting me in a tight spot here, don't you? Uh, Russo or Dixie? Uh, better at helping the industry as a whole. I, I I can in good conscience buy on Dixie Carter because what has Dixie Carter done that helps the 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 industry as a whole? Other than okay, she kept TNA alive, I guess, for all these years, which gave people a place to go work. That is true. That is true. Um, but I can't say that Dixie Carter. If it wasn't TNA, there'd be another promotion in there. In 02, from, from the ashes of WCW and everything else, just like from the ashes of ECW, Rose, Ring of Honor, there would have been a, another promotion no matter what. I look at the way that Dixie um, has run things and, and where they are now at this point, and it's just a total mess. And I don't see how she has helped the industry as a whole. Russo, for all the things I can say about Vince Russo, especially during his time in TNA, the fact is that WWE in the late 90s had a lot of problems. Had a lot of problems. They were losing money. Things weren't looking too good. And Russo was the head writer working with Vince McMahon on creative. And a lot of the things that you and I look back on, and I, I admit this, a lot of the things that we look back on uh, back in that, that period, all those fun, memorable segments and some of the feuds and storylines and stuff, uh, Vince Russo had a lot to do with that. And in some cases was probably directly involved in pitching the idea and making it a reality. I've said before, I, I freely admit that one of my favorite segments in Raw history, because it was just chaotic and it was the, the crowd was going bonkers, was that night that uh, Austin drove the Zamboni. 
into the ring and attacked Vince. And then in the very next segment, Undertaker and Kane uh, broke Vince's ankles. A bad night for Vince McMahon that night. But that whole uh, that that whole part of the show to me is one of my favorite moments in Raw history, and I'm pretty sure that was you know the brainchild of Vince Russo. There was a lot of fun stuff that was greenlit that we got to see on TV. And probably some crazy stuff that got shot down that we never got to see, thank God. And Russo was responsible for a lot of it. And he was right there in the trenches during the Monday Night Wars, making the, or trying to help make the shows more exciting, WWE against WCW. Uh, and eventually WWE overtook WCW. And you gotta give Russo his share of the credit for that. He doesn't deserve all the credit. I feel like a lot of times he, he, just some of the things he says, he takes more credit than he should. Uh, he's not shy about doing that, but you have to give the guy credit. And it led to one of the more exciting, more profitable periods in the history of the business. Now, once he left WWE, he left the track record of, of nothing but failure in his path. He never did have the same level of success elsewhere. He didn't in WCW, and he didn't in TNA. So I'm going to leave that out of the equation here, because I think that did more harm than good to wrestling. But I look at his contributions in the late 90s in WWE, and I, I think that it did help. Uh, I think it did help the industry as a whole, because wrestling got so hot. When, when WWE is hot, so goes the rest of wrestling. Whether you like it or not, and I know people look at WWE as the big bad, you know, the big bad company trying to take over everything, and they're they're the monster, and they're the bad guy here. The fact is, if WWE's business was booming right now, and I guess they are making money, but if, if like, the on-air product was so hot, and wrestling was hot the way it was hot 20 years ago, everything else, it's like King Midas and the Golden Touch. I'm sure you've heard of that before. WWE, everything they touched back then turned to gold. Even some of the wackiest merchandise items that they started to put out. Everything, they had all their hands and their tentacles and so many different things. They opened a restaurant in Times Square, which did flop. But that's how big they were at the time. And so everybody else benefited from that. WCW maybe didn't because they were in direct competition. But they made their own foolish mistakes. But when things are cold and WWE is cold, that can affect the industry as a whole. So there's a lot of great independent wrestling going on right now, but imagine how much hotter things would be <clears throat> if WWE was just on fire right now and the ratings were shooting up. And I think everybody would benefit from that. And everybody did benefit from that in the late 90s. And I think you got to give Russo some credit for that. I don't want to buy on either one of them, quite frankly, but if I had to buy on one of the two, I'm buying on Russo and I'm selling on Dixie. I mean, yeah, okay, Dixie kept TNA afloat. What the hell else has she done to benefit the industry as a whole. And I think TNA will be much better off when she's finally, she sells and she's finally out of the picture. So with that, we move on to our countdown, my list of the nine greatest promos and interviews in WWE history. Again, this is a WWE only list because I had to condense it down to nine and I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it if I had uh, NWA promos and ECW promos. So this is a WWE only list for that reason. Last week, I did number five. That was Hollywood Rock from Raw in Toronto in 2003. We're now down to the final four. 
in this list. And this week, number four, takes us back to Canada, this time to Montreal, on the August 15th, 2005 episode of Monday Night Raw, six days before SummerSlam and the big icon versus legend main event between Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. Uh, yes, this is the famous HBK in Montreal promo. Anytime Shawn Michaels was anywhere in Canada, let alone in Montreal after 97, the heel heat that this guy generated was enough to just... it was You could heat an entire city for ten winters with the heat that this guy got in Canada. Uh, wrestlers would die to get the kind of heat that Shawn Michaels would get in Montreal. And so now, to give a little bit of backstory here before I play the audio for you, and I am going to play the audio. I tried to cut it down. I failed. There's just so much... I couldn't do it. If I'm going to play it, i got to play the whole thing. So it's like 12 minutes long. But before I do that, Hogan and Michaels on TV had been friends for months before this. Hogan saved Sean from a, a beatdown by Muhammad Hassan and Divari on a Raw show that was in Madison Square Garden. I remember that night vividly. I think it was maybe in April of that year. And then Michaels recruited Hogan to be his tag team partner in a match against Hassan and Divari. I think it was a backlash. So the two of them teamed up uh, a couple of times. And one of the times they teamed up after that was the July 4th, the Independence Day episode of Raw. The most patriotic of days to wrestle Kurt Angle and Carlito. That was the main event that night. And after they won, they were posing in the ring together. And then out of nowhere, Michaels just, boom, super kicks Hogan right in the face and leaves him laying. And the crowd booed. I cheered because for the first time since he came back from the back surgery in 02, we were finally going to get a chance to see heel Shawn Michaels. And heel HBK to me has always been the best HBK. Now, some people would argue that he never really turned heel. He only acted heelish for the feud with Hogan. And, th- and there is some merit to that. Okay, As much as I enjoyed this run, it pretty much ended with the Hogan match. Wasn't an issue where Sean was going around, you know, being a dick to everybody else so much. Uh, it, it was it was similar to the Hollywood Rock stuff that I mentioned last week, right? With Rock, it only lasted three or four months. It lasted even less time with Sean. Didn't even go that long. But with Rock, there was no doubt. He left you no doubt that this guy was a heel. He ripped on Hogan. Ironically, so there's another similarity between these two, right? They, they both went heel for matches with Hulk Hogan. Uh, but he didn't just rip on Hogan. Rock mocked uh, the Hurricane. He mocked Stone Cold. He mocked the fans. Rock was just a total asshole. Sean, it was more like, I don't like Hulk Hogan, and I have to prove to myself that I'm better than him. Now, he did super kick Roddy Piper. He did super kick Jerry Lawler in the build-up to this match. But it's not like he was out there ragging on other guys or pointing to his crotch or, you know, any of that stuff. He never did anything that was really dastardly. But he was still a heel to me, and I, I wish he would have gone on longer with it. So what you're about to listen to here, uh, this is the big go-home promo before their match at SummerSlam in a segment that I am positive went way longer than it was supposed to. But it was one of the greatest, uh, to this day, it's still one of the greatest heel promos of all time. Uh, runs a little over 12 minutes, so it's long, but it's worth it. Uh, especially, I kept in all the crowd reactions, just so you can see the kind of heat that this guy got. And between this and the Rock one from last week, I, there's something special about these Canadian crowds. That's why I'm happy that they're finally bringing uh, a major pay-per-view back to Toronto next month. So here is HBK in Montreal. Who's 
is your daddy, Montreal! Because I screwed Brett. 
landed it once, and I'd do it again. If Brett the Hitman Hart had any guts, and he walked down that aisle tonight, a man I'd say hitman I screwed you once and I'll screw you again because breath the hit
Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, 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 my. oh my, now, now, come on now. The first time, sure, maybe I'm cruel. The second time, all you do is show the entire world that Montreal is everything I ever said it was. You Canucks are not the sharpest knives in the drawer. John's pulled us twice tonight. You don't like me very much, do you? I know, I know, I know nothing would thrill you more than to have one of your heroes like... Brett the Hitman Harder, Hulk Hogan, come down that island. Just give me, oh, just give me what for. But guess what? It isn't going to happen. And I'll tell you why. One, nobody in this industry can touch me. And two, your heroes like Brett the Hitman Hart and Hulk Hogan, they're not even here yet. They're such big WWE superstars that their limos don't bring them to the show until it's already in progress. His fans in Montreal wishing that Shawn Michaels would say goodbye. Shawn Michaels isn't going anywhere, and I personally, I love it. Look, I think he's on a sit-down strike now until these people shut up. He's going to get comfortable. I think he feels like he's got all night. Well, he does. He's been playing with them so far. Why should he stop now? Now that you understand who's running this show, I'll continue. Hulk Hogan, the same thing I despise about you is what I despise about Bret Hart. You stood for some moral fiber that in your real life did not exist. Yet you stood in judgment of me. And you, Hulk Hogan, well, you stand for just about anything. There isn't a realistic bone in your body. Hulk Hogan, you're the biggest star in WWE history. And at SummerSlam, I want you to bring your big star. I want you to wear your boa. I want you to have your sunglasses on and your chin held high. children the same talk you do yet every one of you Montreal Canadian men do nothing but stand there and talk it while I walk it Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam your one move from your star being snuffed out 
You don't believe me? Just ask Brett the Hitman Hart. That was great. The only other time I've, I've really heard somebody just totally manipulate a crowd the way they wanted to was The Rock. The Rock was awesome at that. And he did that in the promo last week in Toronto. And so we see the same thing here with Sean. He played it. He knew he didn't have to work very hard for it. He played it perfectly. Uh, I'm sure everybody was high-fiving when they went backstage after that segment. Uh, I fell. I remember watching this live. And I think I had read some stuff online earlier in the day about Brett. There were some rumors about Brett and maybe WWE was reaching out to him. I don't remember. It's, it's vague. I vaguely remember. So I, I, I didn't know that something might happen on the show, but I, I think I had kind of a sense that maybe something might happen. And so I totally fell for the first music tease when he hit Brett's music. I was like, oh shit. And you look at the crowd. And you could see, like, there's, like, some kids in the front row that, like, their jaws drop. They're they're going nuts. Everyone's standing up. And you think, here he comes. And it just plays and plays and plays. And then it's like, oh, shit, he got me. I didn't fall for the second one. I laughed my ass off when Sean mocked the crowd for falling it for it the second time. And like he said, the first time is one thing. The second time, that's on you. But I, I also remember being disappointed when the show was over that night and Brett never showed up. Because for all the name dropping of Brett, and he must have mentioned Brett's name at least half a dozen times. Sean came back out later in the night. I think the main event was uh, Hulk Hogan wrestles somebody in the main event. And Sean came out and put him in the sharpshooter to end the show. So he, now he's using Brett's move. He's, he's name dropped Brett at least half a dozen times. Now he's out there at the very end of the night putting him in the sharpshooter. At that point, you would think, okay, Brett's music is going to hit a second time, and people maybe are going to be like, all right, it's all bullshit. But then he actually walks out, and the place is going to explode, and it never happened. And so for all the mentions of Brett, it was disappointing, because they really made you think that this guy, they had some kind of a deal with him. Why else would they be mentioning him so many times? And when he didn't come out, it was actually a big letdown. Because I thought, okay, he's going to come out. Maybe they'll make him a referee for the match at SummerSlam. But he never showed up. And as far as the SummerSlam match itself, I think many of you are well aware of Sean's absurd, comically absurd, overselling during the match. I actually thought him and Hogan had a pretty good match. As good of a match as you can get at that point out of Hulk Hogan. And Hogan bled, and it was a good match. But Sean did make a mockery out of it. He did uh, oversell more than maybe I've ever seen somebody oversell in a match before. Uh, it's like when The Rock oversells the stunner. Imagine an entire match with that. <laughs> an entire match of Rock overselling moves like the stunner. It's basically what this was. And the reason for it was very simple. So the plan had been for them to have a two-match series. They were going to have the first match at SummerSlam... And they would come back at the next pay-per-view and have a rematch. And I guess Sean wanted to win the first match. Hogan had total creative control. And Hogan wanted to win. And so Hogan was going to win the first match. And I guess Sean's attitude was, okay, well, I'll come back in the second match. I think they were going to do the second match in a cage, maybe, at the next pay-per-view. And Sean would then win that one. So they'd win one each. And Hogan didn't go for that either. Hogan had no problem doing the second match, just provided they understood that he'd be winning that one as well. <laughs> because he's just, he's an amazing man. 
And this, uh, it was a political game of chess. Shawn Michaels had built a reputation for himself that was not the greatest back in the 90s. And he also could be a master politician and a shit-stirrer. But I think what he may have failed to realize was he was up against the master politician, right? It's like you look at the election now. I don't want to dwell on the election too much, but you've got an election between a businessman who's not a, a practiced, polished politician and someone, a woman, who is the quintessential politician. She's been involved in politics going back two decades and is completely polished and rehearsed and, and just the quintessential politician. And as we saw this weekend when you know, the video of Trump dropped and now his whole campaign is in shambles and everybody is running for the hills to get away from him, there's no doubt in my mind that it was her campaign who leaked that video. Believe me, they got a lot of shit on this guy. Probably stuff that's even far worse than this, and we're going to see it probably in the next few weeks. But it was a very shrewd move on their part, right? They, I'm sure they must have had something to do with this, and they dropped it at just the right moment. And I think Trump probably realized at that moment uh, just how brutal politics can be and how he had essentially been out-politicked by a master politician. That's what happened here with Hogan and Sean. He got outworked by somebody who was even better than him. And I'm sure he was not happy about that. We saw that on full display here in this match. Uh, with him flopping around like a fish all over the place. We saw it the next night. When he came out on Raw the very next night. He opened the show again with a promo for the second straight week. And he made a total mockery of Hulk Hogan. He acted like a, a spoiled little brat. He came out. And he called Hogan, you know, he was cat-like, and he was nimble, and he talked about Hogan's technical prowess, and how he he fell like so many before me, I fell to the vicious leg drop. And then he said, Hogan's not here, he's on a jet back to Florida, waiting to come back for more money. And then Chris Masters came out to interrupt, and Sean was back on to his next feud, like this one had never happened. He was still a total dick in that segment, even though he was back to being a babyface against Chris Masters here. Uh, but you could just tell. Just look at his performance in the match and the words that he said here in this promo the next night. You could tell. He was not happy. He was not happy about losing to Hulk. He was not happy about not being able to get his win back. He got out-politicked. He got outworked by the master. That's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, and Hogan, we didn't see Hogan again, I think, for uh, until the following summer. I think he came back the following summer. That's when he had the match with Randy Orton, which, of course, he won that match as well. One of a kind. Hulk Hogan is truly one of a kind. So anyway, that is the, uh, the story of the Shawn Michaels promo in Montreal. In my opinion, one of the greatest of all time. And uh, we are now down to the final three. We have our top three over the next few weeks. It's going to be very interesting to see what ends up in the number one spot. Don't assume things. People people can probably look at it and go, oh, I know what it's going to be. I know what's on here. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily jump to any conclusions. Maybe yes, maybe no. We'll, we'll, we'll see how the list unfolds over the next few weeks. If you have questions for the mailbag, you could email me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster is my handle. You can vote in our polls after every pay-per-view. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, that includes Raw, of course, on Mondays. I put the poll up there as well. Uh, take advantage of our Audible trial, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. You can get yourself a free copy of The Death of WCW right now. It's a great book. 
and you can get it without paying a nickel using our link. And you can also make a PayPal donation on thesolomonster.com at any time on the right-hand side of the page. We have our Sound of Extras up on YouTube, youtube.com slash thesolomonster. We have our store, of course, on Pro Wrestling Tees if you want to buy a shirt. Lots of different ways to show your support for this podcast. The number one way, of course, is just keep listening and spread the word to your friends and anybody who you think might be uh, interested in hearing somebody yak on every week about pro wrestling. And uh, all you got to do is just keep spreading the word, and I very much appreciate it. So until next weekend, I want to wish everybody a very good week. Be well, stay safe. As the uh, the rain and the wind whip around here outside my window, the weather is absolute dog shit here in new york today and hopefully if you are uh down south along the west coast or the west coast jesus the uh the hopefully if you're on the west coast you're safe but if you're on the east coast with this uh, hurricane stuff definitely stay safe and uh, we will see you right back here again for more sound off next weekend until then take care guys the good the bad and the ugly the sala monster sounds off this impact show has moved so many times it's got more fucking moves than bruno mars this show does don't believe me just watch impact started out on friday then moved to saturday thursday then they moved it to monday they got slaughtered so they moved it back to thursday then they moved it to wednesday friday again then back to wednesday tuesday and now back to thursday it's like the big show of tv shows it's turned a thousand times already and the only time people pay any attention to it is when it makes them laugh Since 2007, The Salamonster Sounds Off. Available at thesalamonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and more. Solo Monsters Sound Off.